it looks like I finally got this fixed. Unfortunately, I had to start a new space, so hopefully everybody figures it out. The old link probably won't work. I don't know what happened. I, I tried. I had the space set up. I tried to start it. Everything locked up. Wouldn't let me do anything at all, so all I could do was start over. So here we are. We're here. Uh, if you want to jump in as a speaker, go ahead and request that. We'll get you in here. Uh, I'm going to continue with my topic from my live show this morning. Uh, I read an article in Freight Waves, and uh, I'm going to complain a lot about the journalism, but it's not Freight Waves I'm complaining about. Freight Waves got this information from an NBC article, and the NBC article was written horribly um, but it really does address a lot of what we've been talking about on this space. Oh, wait a minute. Let me find my, uh, my co-host here. Where is, I don't think they found us yet. Um, Joel and Henry should be joining me. Uh, I'll keep an eye out for him. I don't see him yet. Probably the confusion with the, the link in the restart. Uh, if anybody else wants to jump in as a, a speaker, go ahead though. Um, Looks like we've got Matt. I'll add you in here. Uh, so the you know we we've been spending uh, some time on the Atri report that says rates um, the the rate to operate a truck was two dollars and twenty five cents a mile. That is a fleet average with driver wages in there and, and a lot of driver wages and benefits. Uh, ninety cents a mile, and then they compare that to the national spot rate of two twenty two. Yeah, that's a problem. If your expenses are average and your revenue is average, you've got a big, big problem. You're losing money on every mile. And you can't make that up with volume. That's a joke, by the way. Uh, hopefully people get it. All right, let's see. There's Joel. Let's, uh, let's bring Joel in here. Joel, don't forget to unmute yourself. And uh, good morning. Joel, unmute yourself. Things aren't working well today on uh, on spaces. I'm not All sure. Right. There you I go. I am here. There you go. Enough to get here, but finally mm -hmm. made it. <laughs> Took me a while to get here too. Holy cow! <laughs> All right. Um, I know you were on the call this morning, so you heard mm -hmm. this in the live show. What do you think of those numbers? I mean, I I would love to talk more about this, but it's so frustrating when you can't even get numbers that make sense. Oh, Kevin, I'm starting this new business that I want you to invest in. You're going to make 400% on your money. But but is it guaranteed? Uh, absolutely. Of course. Okay. All right. Well, then I'm in. Where do so, I sign up? I think they just had the decimal in the wrong place. I think it was supposed to be in front of that, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sheesh. Well, actually, there's two stories. You're, you picked up on the second one. That one made me crazy. That was about a $100 million Ponzi scheme. This guy sure. convinced people, enough people, to give him $100 million, and his claim was, I'll buy a bunch of trucks, I'll operate a trucking company, and I'll give you a 200% guaranteed return on your money. Well, you know, with all the stuff that's going on with the electric trucks and, and, their, and the self-driving trucks and they, they, a lot of interest from investors that know nothing about trucks, it, it almost doesn't surprise me. Oh, you, that's you know, they're, scary. They're just seeing this stuff out there. Look, self-driving trucks and 
and electric trucks that are so efficient and you know they're, they're only getting one side of the story i mean elon does a very good job at promoting his electric truck and investors <laughs> investors see that so now all of a sudden wow trucks, we can make money you know without doing any homework research nothing <laughs> what about the owner operators numbers they they, they <laughs> in in march of 2022 they are claiming $20,000 a month in profit. Now, look, it's not out of the question. No, I have people I, doing it. Yeah. You've done it. Yep. But not. you have to work hard to get to that ah, number. You, that, that was not easily achieved. You have to bust your ass to get to that number. Right. That you just and, don't and, your first year go out and buy a truck and then just boom, it's, it's there. And, and even if it is. You generally screw it up because then you just go crazy <laughs> spending money. You know what I mean? So if, if, even yeah. even if you and I, with all of our experience, and and you and I can help, and we could throw Henry in here, and we could we could triple team somebody to teach them everything about buying a truck right and operating it right. And I don't think we would achieve these numbers in the first year because it takes some time. It takes some time to build the relationships, well, to find the model that works. Here's what I can tell you. So I, I started my alpha drivers testing and consulting has been in business for several years. And then I just started alpha drivers transportation to kind of complement that. Now my back office guy, he will have a conniption if I throw any hard numbers out there. He doesn't like that <laughs> so I, I have to, i have to control myself on on that end of it but okay uh, i mean we, we weren't hitting them kind of numbers right off the bat I, you, you just you no. just don't and it, uh what what i will say even though we're supposedly in the middle of this freight recession things are so terrible uh we just had the best back-to-back -back weeks um since I, we've been in, in business which isn't all that long but matt, I, I mean we really kicked ass the last couple of weeks so I, I, well matt showed me his recent numbers it, it, there matt is not in any kind of a freight recession he's having his second best year since 2018 i, I right now correct um the only i think the only way you're really in a freight recession is if you're running off load boards only and you're lazy because you're, you're there you just, go you're just yeah, right. on whatever comes up or or you are saying i'm only going to run in this particular lane and that's it and you're on a load board you're going to struggle or or the the big one i only pull freight for three dollars a mile or more yeah, yeah gotta love that stuff i now here's something I, i'll tell you you know a lot of people jump all over me because i run off the the schneider power only load board while my direct customer is loading my trailer so i normally have a, there you I go have a week or two <laughs> i don't want to buy another trailer so i just run the load board and it keeps me in touch with what's really going on so i think that's an awesome eight idea out of ten people will say, oh, that Schneider load board, they're horrible rates and it's heavy freight. Nothing could be further from the truth. I, I pulled <laughs> a random sampling, and this is power only. I pulled a random sample of like eight or ten loads in my area that originate in my area. The range was between $2 and $6 a mile, and half the loads were under 20,000 pounds. Wow. So, I, I, you, that, you know, now I, I get it. it. There are areas of the country where Schneider's not strong and their rates are, are crap. They just are. But in Ohio, where it, I'm at, it's pretty damn good. I mean, I, I, I so, could make so a living it, off just that load board if I had to. 
I've also used examples of owner operators who worked for nobody except C.H. Robinson for the entire year. Mm -hmm. Didn't work with a single other broker, no other companies, no nothing. Every load they took was from C.H. Robinson. They had a couple agents that they worked with every Mm -hmm. time and built a really strong relationship. This guy, and and he was a brand new owner operator. Mm -hmm. This is his first year in business. Mm -hmm. And he ended up being C.H. Robinson's small carrier of the year. So they invited and he told them the story that I was the one that told him, go find three to five good brokers, build relationships, call me every week. We'll work on this. And he took that advice and he ran, never called me again, went to C.H. Robinson, said, why would I need three to five? They have all kinds of loads. And the guy had a killer first year and, and C.H. Robinson invited me to do the keynote speech at the award ceremony where this guy was getting small carrier of the so year. Let me let me tell you another story for for folks that may not understand how a load board or power only or something like that could really be beneficial even to a fleet. So my brother has a very successful fleet. He's running just over a hundred trucks nowadays. He has like three to one trailers to trucks. He has multiple direct customers. And we had the discussion the other day and he said, you know, I'm kind of afraid of having all my eggs in one basket. And he said, I, I talked to the Schneider people and, and we're going to do some work for them. Um, just just to have all those eggs in one basket. If something goes That's bad, good thinking. Yes, and, and, you know, everybody's like, oh, if you have direct customers, what the hell would you need a load board? You, you need both. You need a combination of both. Yes. You don't ever want to bank on one particular – because a customer could go bankrupt. You, you, they could get bought out. Yeah. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> Especially in a time so like now, this. Is my brother going to take half his trucks and put – no, but you know he—he's he, gonna—he's right. gonna work with them, maintain a working relationship with some of the megas, and you know work where it makes sense to work with them, and and you you, you yep. need to do that, and all this just complete nonsense. Mega carries are the enemy, and their rates are terrible. They are not terrible. You take care of them; they take care of you. It took us about three trips before Schneider called us and said, "Hey, look, we're gonna have an agent." work directly with you and then you guys can get some stuff that maybe is not on the board yet um so that has worked well uh we've we've made a couple other um very good relationships with with some other brokers um especially on my west coast stuff and again i can't give any details or my partner gonna jump all over me but we've had (laughs) we've had a lot of success that way coming back off the west coast and um Hey, Joel, I have an idea. Give me your back office guy's email, and I'll just block him from all of our (laughs) broadcasts so he can't hear what you're saying. There you go. There you go. Oh, shoot. um, So let's go back to these numbers. So I'm skeptical of almost all of them. Let's say for the sake of argument that sometime in early 22, they did have a month where they profited 20,000. Part of my problem is I there's some other issues with their accounting that makes me believe they don't know how to figure out what their profit really was. But let's say they did. That was March of 2022. 
by July of 2022, they were claiming their profit had dropped to 3,300 a month. Can you come up with a single scenario where that's even possible? I, no, I, I mean the only thing you could possibly think of is they were the most fortunate or lucky people on earth. They stepped right into some dedicated route that was just paying a ridiculous amount, and all of a sudden it ended. I, I, I don't, I have no idea how. Right, how you're right. You have to happen. stretch like yeah. that, but then even if you think about it, okay, you lost your dedicated run. July of 2022, there was still plenty of freight on the spot market. Oh, yes. And it was paying pretty decent. Right. So you lose your you lose your dedicated, you go grab some spot market freight. I just don't see how you could run in July of 2022 and make 3000 If you were truly making that 20 and you dropped it, it's because you wanted to. It, right. There's no other explanation it, it, right. for that. I, I don't, I don't get and it. I don't understand it. I, I'm with you. It then the, this makes sense. Then the only other numbers that were available was she bought a $175,000 truck. Big, big mistake right there. That, that, that alone would put somebody out of business. You buy the wrong truck at the wrong price at the wrong time, and you've got a huge hurdle to try to overcome. Mm -hmm. But then I see... The next sentence is, and part of the problem was the revenue just wouldn't cover her $2,600 a month rent and her $1,400 a month truck payment, and my head almost exploded. So, Kevin. First Kevin, off, Kevin, I go ahead, Henry. I think her $1,400 a month might have been a week for her truck payment. Probably. That makes a whole lot more sense. Either that or Be, it was a pickup truck bought during those really great times. Or it was some goofy lease purchase arrangement with a huge balloon payment. Those are the only things that make sense. But they're calling it a household expense. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> if you're telling us your profit, the truck payment oh, yeah. should have come out of profit. <laughs> so now I have to question everything. But $175,000 truck and you put 4000 down? It should have been thirty some thousand dollars down. Yeah, right. Unless it was a front loaded like lease deal, Probab where the probably was in it, right? And they were counting which, all the payments. Which, if that's the case, and she failed with a fourteen hundred dollar a month payment, guess what would have happened when the balloon came due? She would have failed if she could have made it that far anyway. Yeah, was that the same time of year where fuel got super high? I was trying to go back and look. I think it is. But if you bought a new truck, you have to get six miles to the oh, gallon. At least. No, you don't. No, I, I, I've heard <laughs> of people with that cars and MX engines that were getting five. Uh, well, so, so the reason I brought up six for people who might not follow that, if you're getting six miles to the gallon in the freight world, fuel is meaningless. It really is. I mean, come on, you might have some fluctuation week to week when the price jumps too fast and you got to wait a week for the surcharge to catch up. But it's a week. Come on. I, it, six miles to the gallon keeps you pretty well even no matter what fuel prices do. That's the whole point of the surcharge. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of fuel prices, because uh, I look every week to bill out my, my uh, fuel surcharge. This week, we are $1.90 a gallon cheaper than this week a year ago. Wow. 
Oh, so See, that's the time frame we were talking about me, then. That sucks because I was making a kid. Oh, no, I know. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to go back. Yeah. I, I wanted to go back for two reasons. I wanted to go back for the people on this call because I know every time fuel prices go up, you guys make more money. I wanted to go up for that, and I wanted to go up to wash out all the dirt bags. Yeah, no, that. I got a yeah. third. I got a third reason, Kevin. <laughs> okay. The higher it goes, the nicer people drive. Oh, that, there you go. I don't think that happened. Last I, year. No, I, I was going to say I I didn't enough. see it. it yeah, I didn't see it the last time I was on the I, road. I, I think the last time we need to see seven or eight dollars a gallon, then might have started getting them trimmed up. Yeah, because it seemed to me like the five something didn't phase a lot of people. They no. were acting like it was no big deal. They they were still buying Hellcats and. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you never know when you need to get a quart of milk in a hurry. You know the 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 problem I have with these articles, and and again, this is not Freight Waves that that did this yeah, uh, awful yeah, reporting. They, it was NBC. They repeated it though. And they should. They, they did well. Should, so did I. But, they, but yeah, in in critical <laughs> of the article, freight waves repeated that somebody there should have picked up on everything that you just done and said this is garbage. Instead, they picked up on it and ran with it too, and that doesn't reflect well on freight waves. No. But and my my problem with this is articles like this are used to claim that the entire transportation system is broken. And it's nonsense. And right. and. And they'll also use this to attack the independent contractor model because it's broken and, and these people are being taken advantage, advantage of. of. Right. Yeah. And, and we're, we're going to have a whole bunch more regulations. And my take is you can't regulate away ignorance. And that's exactly what I was going to say. The government can't protect you from your own ignorance. That's just not in the cards. Nope. It's never going to happen. So nothing we could do. There's no laws, no regulations we could write that would protect these people. Or if we did, the problem with it is then you take away all the opportunities for the people who might succeed. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You're, you're talking what, about what, what article are you guys referring to? Well, I got um, to give Kevin credit because I saw that article somewhere else that I think somebody else ran it. And it might have what, been. What, what, did, what did it say? Uh, let me find the original article again. I'm speaking Wasn't that just carrier to, in Florida. Uh, no, I think that was the whole Ponzi scheme. I had two <laughs> articles this morning that were just ridiculous. I think that Florida was the Ponzi scheme. Uh, I'm not uh, sure. Uh, I give you. Credit, can you can Kevin, you pin them? Were able to make it through the article. I had to stop reading. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, let me let me uh, try to find it I here, and I will. I love the quotes about people's life savings. They thought they were going to quadruple investing I, in someone else's truck. I, 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 I can't. I, just the whole thing made my head explode. Give me a bunch of money. I'm going to go buy a bunch of trucks and operate them, and give you a 200 percent return on your money. Of course. Well, just just look at all the money all the big megas are making. What's their profit? It's at least four or five hundred percent, ain't it? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're 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 close, Joel. I think the last time I reported those numbers, it was nine point nine percent. But you were close. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Just wow. Go on any social media and look at any trucking group for owner operators, and all they do is bitch about how they never make any money. Uh -huh. Well, you know, a little bit of research the, the, shows there's no money in trucking. The the whole problem is the brokers. 
Right, it is. It's the brokers. It's always. Hey. You always blame somebody else for your failure. Hey, Reed. Yo. If um, I'd have to try to figure out how to put this up in the nest on my phone while I'm doing you this, can, and not probably. Yeah, what? I mean, I, I can tweet it, it, it and, and share it. It's on my page. Okay. Yeah, if you just look on my page, it's there. Um, the the first sentence says I'm calling bullshit on these numbers. <laughs> hey, I, I've oh, got some. Oh, I see her. Kevin, I got some numbers for you to review here as soon as uh is okay. as soon as this will allow. I just <laughs> I just got this from my office guy who just sent this over and I had him I had some extended idling going on uh because of the the 4th and my birthday and whatnot and so I was out here in Oregon on the on the coast and it says during the 73.9 hour period between July 2nd and July 6th when we made the last delivery before the fourth holiday and the warehousing reopening after the holiday, the truck, my truck idled for a total of seven hours and 58 minutes in three separate periods because I have the electric APU with the on-off functionality and the solar. So I, okay. I had sat for 73.9 hours. The truck started for seven hours and 58 minutes, and I burned 5.2 gallons of fuel. And that average 0.667 gallons per hour is what my truck burns. And he wow. says, conversely, if you had a Thermal King APU, it's diesel consumption of 0.2 gallon hour per their website. Um, you would have ran that for the entire 73.9 hours. You would have burned 14.78 gallons instead of 5.2. Um, and you would have had all the noise and all the bullshit maintenance that you have with a diesel APU. Thank yes. you. I have, I, I have been saying forever, even if the electric APU won't handle your needs every single time, so what? Idle the truck once in a while won't be that big of right. a deal. And the, the trucks today are smart enough to know I've got to start because the batteries are at such and such a level and I need to bring it. And it knows exactly how long. The, it shuts itself off. It takes it, care of all that. You don't have to do a damn thing. You know, this is the same system we've had in RVs forever. I can go into both of my RVs and I can program all this stuff exactly the way I want it. You know, start the start the the generator at this voltage. Run it till it reaches this voltage. I, all that stuff has been around for a long yes. time, and it's fully automated, and it works really yes. well. So, if I would have just idled the truck straight out, it would have cost me a hundred and seventy-two fifty-two over that seventy-three hour period. The diesel cost me fifty-one seventy-three. The diesel APU, <coughs> the electric, cost me eighteen twenty. Wow. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's one one rest period. Yeah, and that's unusual for me to go that long. I mean, if it, it right, went for the right. holiday and, and a scheduling snafu, I would have went 34 hours. And typically in the 34, I may have may have two hours of idling in a 34. Yeah, I'm, in a 10 I'm hour using a similar system to you, and the only time that mine ever really idles is to microwave at night. <laughs> right. The, the hey. other thing that we've got going on, that is using just regular old lead-acid batteries. Now, I am working with, with oh. the people at Phillips and Temro. We are going to come out with a four-battery. Um, four I don't know if it's going to be lithium-ion or what, but they're testing four different batteries. But 
and they're telling me that we think we're close to doubling up what we're doing with the lead acid. Okay. So those numbers get I, even better. I would think they would want to go with lithium iron phosphate. It could be. I don't know yet. I don't have all the details. I, yeah. I think. Now, another quick note here, because I've talked about this before, and I just read a new article yesterday. Panasonic, again, is claiming they will be producing a, a commercially viable, solid-state battery by 2027. Nice. That's a game-changer. Yep. That changes everything about electric. These solid-state batteries are light. They have no liquid in them. They don't use exotic heavy metals. We don't have to use do all this mining. We don't have disposal issues. They don't catch on fire. Mm -hmm. They are they can store more energy in a much smaller space, and they last forever. Yep. So <clears throat> I got one other thing that I, w I would like to touch on here before we get into everything else because I know how we get going. And, <laughs> I, I, and, and, I, and I wasn't on last week, so I want to I want to talk a little bit about the, the bottom end and down speeding and you like to talk about engine architecture and, and whatnot. So I, I get a lot of feedback. Oh, you're just a Volvo hack and, and you don't know shit and yada, yada, yada. So <laughs> here's what I want to. So what's the point? <laughs> Here, hey. Here's what I want to. Hey, throw hey, out. Joel, let, let, let me address that real mm -hmm. quick. If you were making up this stuff that you talk about, I you would have to be brilliant. <laughs> Seriously, you couldn't make this stuff up. So, <laughs> let's let's talk about let's talk about engine architecture <laughs> and just really quick and what's going on here. Now, to, in my mind right now in the marketplace, there are two purposely downsped engines and two that were purposely designed for emissions. That is the Detroit and the Volvo. And what makes that unique is these two engines have a slower piston speed, which improves combustion. And we've talked about this in detail. Okay. So when you look at the crankshaft of either a Detroit or a Volvo, when you look at the connecting rod journal, um, they're almost four inches round. When you look at, um, when you look at the journal of a, a 3406 cat, an N14, they're closer to three and a half inches round. Some and of the we always believed that small. the cat so, was the heavy-duty so bottom-end like, engine. Why would design an engine that, you know, isn't heavy-duty or isn't big enough? Here's, here's the mindset, I think, of what's going on. So let's take the Packard. Everybody that drives the Packard will tell you, man, it's very responsive on the throttle. It, 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 it's got good power. Yeah. Um, That's yeah. because of the lightweight. The crank right. Very yeah. small. Exactly. Talk about moment of inertia. Uh, it doesn't have much moment of inertia because there's not a lot of beef there. So it, it can spin very efficiently at higher RPMs. I think the Packard mindset is let's get a little more efficient at higher RPM. And um, we're going to approach it that way. Volvo and Detroit kind of went the exact opposite. They're like, no, you have to turn these as slow as possible to get maximum efficiency out of them. Um, so we're going to put a crankshaft in them that has a little bit more uh, energy requirement at moment of inertia, but we're going to have fewer moments of inertia during the day. And so that was kind of their mindset. Cummins kind of falls somewhere in between there. Um, and, and then you have to look at the, the other parts of it. So when we're talking about a crankshaft, I think what really screws people up is 
there's strength, and, and this is not a Viagra commercial, by the way. There's strength and there's stiffness. <laughs> and there is, a di- Rigidity. there is a difference between strength and stiffness, and that's what people don't understand. So, you know, some people go, well, they make these, these smaller crankshafts out of uh, exotic alloys. Well, they, they really don't. <laughs> All the alloys and right. crankshafts are very similar, and they have the same what's called modulus of rigidity. They're very close well, as, as far as, as that goes. Um, so the only other way that you can increase the stiffness of a crankshaft is the cross-section properties. It's the, the, it's the journal overlap. It's the diameter of the journals themselves. I don't care what alloy you make it out of. You have to have a certain cross-sectional property to make that crankshaft stiff. And the bigger the diameter of the journals, the more overlap you have, the stiffer that crankshaft is going to be regardless of the material you make it out of within reason. And, and all the crankshafts manufactured today, regardless of what alloy they're using, they, they're all very similar uh, in, in that, that stress level test. So when you're looking at doing a downsped powertrain, really honestly have to be very careful of the manufacturers that are using crankshafts that are more designed to get lightweight. They may be more designed to operate a little more efficient at higher RPM because some folks like that. They don't want a truck that that's turning very low RPM. They don't like how it feels. They don't like um, the, the performance at, at lower RPM, whatever their reasoning you know, at that point, you're you're wanting to look at a Packard or a Cummins. If you really, truly want to go down sped, you're going to be looking at a Detroit or a, a Volvo at that point. Both the Volvo and, and Detroit, uh, the, the crankshaft, you're going to be able to run all day long under 900 RPM if you want. Not so much with the other designs, but they are going to be much more efficient at higher RPM. And so I'm never saying that Volvo is the only truck that can get decent fuel mileage. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm pointing out is this is how Volvo does it. Um, This is what's important to the Volvo design in order to get that job done. Um, Henry does basically the same thing on the Detroit side. We have very similar approaches to what we're doing, and we're both knocking it out of the park in terms of fuel efficiency. That- Cummins and Packard have went in a different direction. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just, it's just a different. It's, it is a different direction. But- but we can look at some downsides. I mean, I, I, I'll step in and say there are some things here you should really seriously consider. You're not going to get the same kind of fuel economy numbers. And, and maybe we're talking, you know, small amounts. But to me, fuel's important. Why wouldn't I go with the truck and the engine that gives me the best possibility of the highest efficiency available? That, that's one issue. Another issue we know Running at those higher RPMs, you're probably going to see more emission issues. You're just not keeping enough heat in the engine. You've talked about this many times. So that's another thing that bothers me about it. Um, aren't we also expecting that the international engine is going to fall with the Volvo and the, the Freightliner? It's going to be more similar to them. I don't know what happened is any, to Joe. Is anybody, he- oh. is anybody hearing me? I can hear you. Yep, I can hear you. Uh, Joel, I am here. He's still yeah, there. Here. Oh, yeah, there you are. I, I, 
you were cutting out there for a little bit, but um, from what I did catch, there are certain criteria that I look at, um, and just one of them, and I, I try to keep it as simple as possible. The fewer strokes your your pistons are making as you're going down the road, the longer the engine potentially is going to last. That's just that's the a bottom good line. thing, right? I mean, that's about right. as basic I, as it gets, right? Yeah, yeah, and so so, the, the other so I. That, I, I I will say, I, I will be the one to say, these downsped engines are better. They, they just are. I don't know why Cummins and the other manufacturers decided to go the other way, but I don't see any. Now, you didn't get into this. We don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but you're talking about your truck being able to run in three different gears at highway speeds, and Henry's at about two and a half or three gears. You can't do that with those other engines. Just doesn't work. To me, it's like comparing. Can I jump in? To, to me, it's like comparing an F1 engine yeah. to a NASCAR engine. Both have similar horsepower. Both have similar fuel consumption. One spins twenty thousand RPM. One eight thousand right. big. Big big difference. Hey, who was that that wanted to jump in? That was me, Mac. Yeah. Hey, go ahead, Mac. Okay, so two things that I, I would like to add here. Uh, one is a question, and the other is to answer your question that you just asked, Kevin. The reason that – now, where I'm coming from, I could be wrong. I could get stepped on pretty hard for this, but I think that uh, Cummins and Packard went the other way because of the market. There is a there is a substantial market for guys oh, right. who just want to get out there and no. and slam that pedal down and be first up the hill, and they don't here. care about fuel mileage and – you know, so, I used to be one of those guys pretty hard. I mean, going down the road with 875 horsepower and close to 800 to the ground, I'm like, and, you, you know, I paid for it one day. <laughs> I believe you are correct. I believe that is the, the reason. I, I think it's that's what they've built. That's what some people want. Here's the interesting thing. It no longer gets you to the top of the hill faster. Yeah, but it feels well, that way, Kevin. <laughs> but you, in the real world, it, it just doesn't. I mean, the, these downsped yeah, engines have crazy pulling power and the ability to run at highway speeds in three different gears, which gives you a lot of flexibility. Yeah, Volvo's changed quite a bit since I, I bought mine with with the 14 speed that that uh, Joe right. keeps talking about. And then right. the advertisements that they keep putting up. I've got a guy here in North Carolina. Um, I told him to talk to Henry and Joel. I don't know that he's reached out yet, but I, I just can't. I just can't get through to the guy. So I just just like backed off. I was like, let him stew in that. Let him come in and listen and get more educated. And hopefully he will move along. The one thing that I have not heard that I hear the most complaints about Packar with is that uh, fuel uh, the fuel pump. That thing just when it gets ready to go, it goes. And to get into that and to fix it. It's many hours, and it's very expensive. Cummins had its own fuel pump issues, too. Those things were coming apart and taking the rest of the engine with them. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if those two issues have been solved. I have not heard that about the Volvo. Um, there was one, I think, with the Freightliner. Henry can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was the water pump. No, there they was, were there looking was for fuel pump problems. There was a little bit there. With because uh, on the Detroit the fuel lubricates the pump, and with some yeah. of the people that went too high on bio at one point, that's several years ago now though. I think the the biggest concern for for guys who are running the older trucks is this emission stuff, and 
you know, I think if, if you run the trucks in the, in the, in the correct ranges of where they're supposed to run, you keep an eye on it and, and you put a good fuel additive in there. I, I think you're going to do better than the guys that don't do anything. I mean, they're guys that, um, Henry, I know you, you know, of Clint's shop and I know Joel does too. There's a, a, a guy who used to work for Volvo and he went out on his own and his, his shop, uh, I can put a picture up later. It, it's just packed to the gills all the time. And, and guys just, just don't take care of their trucks the way they should. And they, if they would, then their maintenance problems or their oops or their uh-ohs would, would go away, you know. Hey. I think one of yeah. one of the things that's really important as an owner operator or somebody that's considering to buy the truck is how you define performance. If you're defining performance as throttle response in a heavy duty truck, um, down speeding is not have, for you. You're gonna, you're, well, well, it's not just down speeding. I mean, the the business aspect of it may not uh, be yeah. for you uh, because that that is counter to everything you learn when you learn about efficiency and and whatnot so i I hear guys that are like oh yeah well when you're in overdrive with an i-torque it doesn't have much that's exactly the point it does correct it's not supposed to we have the ability to to kick down gears if you want to do that but you know in 99% of the circumstances, why would you? It's just going to cost fuel and it's going to raise your maintenance. And when you, and, when you, and it doesn't save you any time. So when you, we're, we're talking seconds yes. of, yeah. right. Yes. When you have exactly. an engine that is specifically designed for improved throttle response based on the crankshaft design, to me, that's a red flag. But that's just me. I'm looking at that going, I don't want nothing to do with that. Because that just encourages a driver to say, hey, look, man, this, this throttle is really responsive. Look what I can do with it. Now you're, you just went from eight to six miles a gallon. So let, let's, let, let's talk about why we do all of this. When we talk about efficiency, we focus on fuel mileage because it's the biggest expense. We throw maintenance in and talk about that a lot because it's another big expense. But, and, and if people don't want to spec trucks for low fuel and low maintenance, they want better performance, I have zero problem with that. And if they want to put it in a non-aerodynamic truck because they really love classics, good. That's why you're in business. You get to make your own decisions. What makes me crazy and why I come back to this all the time is if you make those decisions and, and things go bad, don't blame everybody else. I, I agree with you. Don't yeah. Live with what you what. Don't blame the market. Don't blame the brokers. Found. Don't yeah. blame the government. Don't blame ELDs. Right. Don't blame anything because you could have made better decisions that would have increased your profit. Yes. You chose not Correct. to, and I support you in those choices. Yes. But live with the consequences of them. Absolutely, a hundred percent. I agree. Don't be the person that's in a four hundred twenty horsepower suburban sitting at a coffee place buying a six-dollar cup of coffee with your engine idling saying feels too expensive yeah exactly <laughs> right it, it, so, the market is what it is we're not going to change it you have to play the game to win in this market so a couple- yeah but you know how people are going to be they're they're going to blame everybody else but themselves i mean kevin you talked about this before when you were at landstar and we had to go through those classes when I was there, and, and I thought it was great. In fact, uh, there was a guy in the Georgia office named John. I don't remember him or not, but he started talking about it, and I said, listen, I said, you, you should do this for all these people who don't understand how to run businesses. 
And they put it together and they had found out there but there was a woman, and I think I've talked about this before. There was a woman that kept coming to John and complaining, and she she was driving him absolutely nuts. And we found out that once she finally turned in her paperwork to John, she was spending, I don't remember how much money, but it was tremendous amount of money on Starbucks coffee <laughs> three to five times a day. And then she was blaming everybody else. And I'm like, really? So that's what John uh, used. That's what they used uh, as the preface to get everybody in the class. And, and it helped a lot of people. But, you know, getting back to that article, I mean, that's something I don't know if you guys want. Let me know when you get back to it, because it is very questionable. I'm glad you you took it on because I put it out there. So who wants to debunk all this stuff in the article? And and nobody, nobody took that bait whatsoever. You know, uh, you know what I'd really love to be able to do? I really wish I could sit down with this woman. And, and I would hope she has records and I would put the numbers together for her so we could at least be talking about numbers that made some sense. I could pro- I, I'm sure I could point out 15 to 20 things she could have done different, but it's hard to even approach it because these numbers are so poorly reported. Well, yeah. I mean, if you if you read the article, the, the one thing, the things that I wrote down was she made twenty thousand dollars profit. Okay, so that so that would have to be five thousand dollars profit a week, and it's not out of the question. During that time, we went back and looked. Um, Matt, in this month, and I know we use Matt's numbers all the time because two reasons: one, they're really good. They prove that doing this stuff over and over and over for years really works. But he also shares them and he lets me share them with other people. In this year, 2023, the, the supposed freight recession, Matt has broken $20,000 of profit three times. In May, he did $27,000 in profit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's possible. Well, is, he, is he a it's, one truck operation? One truck, one driver. Okay. He's, well, he's on. Possible. He's on here. If you want to ask him any questions. Hey, can you hear me? No. Uh, just, no. I, I, I did the newsletter on this thing earlier, so I'm really curious. Uh, thanks for picking it up, by the way, Kevin. I've, the one by the NBC affiliate. Fun fact: By that, uh, working in media and business, one you brought up two good points earlier. The OI and ATA like cats and dogs, which is really interesting because at Freight Waves, neither of them really pay. We sell sonar subscriptions, so it's, it's humorous. So it's, it's fun to watch on the side, like popcorn as the trucking expert, because it just depends on what channel rile someone up to send it. But the final part, um, NBC yeah. large media affiliates. I put it in there and didn't really give a commentary because I thought it was interesting on the numbers, like you said. And I've I've seen. It was gross versus net was not brought up. And that's one thing that I wish this was great feedback, by the way, about not only freight waves, but in my job. And I think in her job, you don't get a lot of feedback from functional people, actual drivers, unless I'm on XM and I get a call uh, it, working in this job. I don't really know. It's fascinating. So this was really cool. Final thought. I know I'm, I'm rambling a minute, but um, I wish she'd split into it because they're normally just picking a driver because they want to drive page views. They're going to pick it up mainstream outlet. And I just need to get clicks. But um, I do wish she broke it down because I've seen $10,000 revenue weeks, 40000 a month, but how much of it were you actually netting and she didn't specify? Well, see, the part of the problem is when we, when we throw terms around that aren't clearly defined or they're being used wrong. Uh, there, there are different profits. I, if we use the word profit with an owner-operator, 
we should be talking about bottom line P&L. They don't have cost of goods sold, so we don't have all those other confusing numbers in there. So if I see an owner-operator and the word profit is used, I'm assuming bottom line P&L. So when they said $20,000 a month profit, I, I take that as true. I think it's a stretch. First-year owner-operator doing that. Uh, I, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I kind of doubt that the numbers were done right. And then when I find out they're claiming that the truck payment is a household expense, uh, well, wait a minute, that should have come out of profit. So that's confusing. I think she did $5,000 so, a week and she mixed it up because if you pick on the spot, probably I did it, like, right. when I started back in 21, you could throw a turd on the wall and make money off of it. It was that dumb. And so exactly. honestly, God, I it, bet right. in the interview when she was asking, well, how much did you make a month? She probably like, well, I made $20,000 in profit because it's really hard to specify. <laughs> that's half of my job is explaining this. And then, you know, I bet you she did $5,000 weeks because if I had a bad week when I had a, a fleet of five after coming from U.S. Express where I had like 5000 um, 5000 a week you can do with anyone. You just pick a few loads. You do like 1500 right. per load. You, you know, right. figure it out. But I'm really curious on that because I think Freight Waves, it's, it's weird. Being at Freight Waves, we normally cater to shippers and brokers, except for like what the truck. They're very driver focused. So it's this weird situation where you'll see some of our reporting. And it's not intentional by any means. It's just whatever journalist happens to have their beat, they're just going with it. So I'm, I'm really curious on your thoughts on that as well. You know, I, I wish we could come up with a way, especially now, where, where this education is critical. We just came through a, a place where people went out and bought crazy expensive trucks. They, I can't imagine the devastation that's going to come out of this because having, it, what, what, here's what a lot of people don't understand. They went and bought those 240. I was see, watching people buying used oh trucks. My for two hundred and forty thousand dollars, <laughs> yeah, and and Inspect that truck wrong. now inspect wrong. wrong, yeah, inspect wrong. That truck now isn't two hundred and forty thousand. It's a hundred thousand dollar truck now, if you're lucky. And when they default on that truck, and they end up still owing a hundred or more thousand dollars, and they default, that becomes taxable revenue to them, and you can't discharge that with bankruptcy. That will follow them for the rest of their life. So one of the keys, I think, here when, when we're talking about the new expensive truck is, and just what you guys had mentioned, is you better make damn well sure that you have the spec right because Great. that's going to make your break you you get the spec wrong you're going to end up with six miles a gallon and you're going to be in the shop every other week with emission system problems it's just the way it's going to be yep well, now well, now let yeah, me say that, something yeah, though hold on had then, that takes all the blame off of you it's the EPA <laughs> 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 now, but but let's say this in this case had this truck been specced perfectly she would have failed anyway there were too many other things um, wrong, but you're yes, right. Most likely. It's a yes. it's a big one. Yes. It's a big one. You've got to get it right. Yes, because but when, but when you look in this case, I don't think it would have mattered. Get your number one expense, which is fuel. So you know, Henry's north of ten. I'm north of ten. My last two quarters of my IFTA were eleven point three one and ten point eight eight. I mean, I'm, we're we're pushing that, we're pushing I, quite a bit north of ten nowadays. Versus a guy getting six with that same two hundred and forty thousand dollar truck, 
that is a huge, huge difference. And I promise you can't you, overcome it. I promise you that guy getting Man. six, just like Henry said, is bitching about how terrible the EPA is and and how awful the government right. is. And it, it has nothing to do with the government. It was poor choices on how they spec the truck. You know, as far as reporting, if we could somehow get a hold of, you know, if we wanted to do this kind of stuff, I would love to be involved with it. I would do it free. I will take their numbers. I'll do the accounting. I'll put it all together so we could have the real story because there will be dozens of lessons in there. Well, what you're saying about reporting, Kevin, and I think that's great if you got involved in that. I know too many times I've had reporters call me and they're looking for the victim. Well, if that's what you're right. looking for, you're going to find yeah. the victim story. That's a good point. And, and it was funny because I said, uh, this is back in 2008, and it was one of the major networks. I said, uh, I'm not having a problem. But, <laughs> matter of fact, I'm having about a record year. Everything's good. But uh, let me give you the number of somebody else. And it was funny because they called all these different people, and they came around, and they said, well, we thought you were all were suffering. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I guess you can find them too. I had that exact same scenario. I was still with my brother. We had just invested thousands and thousands of dollars in our facility and in training our people. And we were just at that time really getting ahead of the curve on the emission thing. And when all the fleets were just completely bitching about it, they called to interview us and they said, okay, what kind of problems are you having? We said, we're not really having a problem. And they're like, there's no way. And they actually wanted to come down and they did. And they were just blown away. But, you know, we had gotten out way ahead of the curve on on the emission thing very early on and and things got really good for for my brother's fleet really let's, quick let's bring all these lessons back to the basics you know we we do that series where we call it back to the basics all of these lessons buying the truck wrong not understanding financing not understanding costs not understanding accounting um i just got a message that i'm um, dead air on uh, on the app yeah, i gotta go figure out why you, you so when you're talking paul about go ahead i'm sorry oh i was just say paul sent me a text that you got dead air on the let's truck app you check to make sure it's actually playing or uh i am and there doesn't seem to be any reason why it should be dead air i have a feeling i'm not getting my audio back from twitter that's what has to happen i have to get my audio back to be able to send it out and i must not be getting it usually the only way for me to solve that is to leave the space and then come, come back, back on yep. on my phone we'll let you I back may. in kevin <laughs> well thank you that's that's mighty mighty nice of you yeah let me uh, all right you guys talk let me see if i can solve this problem so that, that happens to me a lot that where I can't end up hearing. That happened to you earlier on the deal, Joel. Yeah, I had where... to sign out and in. But, you know, getting back to what, yep. what we're talking about, you know, a lot of times the media is just looking for that victim and they want to they wanna just kind of spew that victimhood mentality out there. I don't know if it's, that's because that's what people are interested in or what sells, but to me that is the number one problem with our industry in terms of small fleets and owner-operators is, is – People will give you 15 reasons why you can't do something. And you know, I just had this discussion the other day with a guy 
who's like, oh, I'm thinking about buying this truck or that truck. And I said, well, look, here is what my truck is doing here. Are and, and I laid out my ECM numbers. I laid out my by hand calculations. I laid out my IFTA. I laid out my fuel gauges, 30, 60, 90. Everything matched across the board. And he goes, well, but yeah, but you can only do that running slow and, and hauling light. I'm like, Jesus Christ, come on. Oh. <laughs> you, you know, that's it, it's people will, <laughs> will go out of their way to to tell you why you can't do something even what you did yeah, even when you it, it, they're trying to tell you you can't do what you I, did I, I, well I, and, and, and <laughs> to your point so last week I, and and i wasn't on last week because i i was i was humping it last week i ran 3450 miles and done 20 stops last week Woo. and the Whoa. and the guy says yeah but you can't well, that's, that's just not it. True. the guy <laughs> says, oh you only run slow and and that you can't do it your numbers don't add up but here i am sitting out in oregon waiting to get my last day <laughs> off with 20 pods <laughs> Yeah, so let me. You, I, you took a plane somewhere. You I, I, says I can't do it too, but uh, I, I, fi I, I fixed the problem. So let me get back to my point. I want to bring this back to the basics. Almost every mistake we talk about that that leads to these people failing, buying the wrong truck, wrong specs, no fuel mileage, maintenance, relationships, everything. What it comes down to is the people who see the problem. We are not saying these problems don't exist, that there aren't brokers out there that aren't great to work with, that, that fuel prices aren't volatile and emissions aren't a problem. We're not saying that. All of the things they say, I agree with. Those are issues, they're problems. Here's the difference. The people who look at that problem and say, how do I fix this? How do I make it better? will find ways to make it better. And then they'll start to succeed. And then they move on to the next issue and problem. How do I make this better myself right now? The people who That's sit right. back and blame all of those issues on everybody else will never succeed. How can the they? Last time well, you know, I checked, Kevin, none, of us, none of us live in fantasy land. The last time I checked, you know, there's no unicorns. There's no rainbows every nope. day. We don't live there's... in fantasy land. We just don't. Well, and you can either find a problem and then dwell on that and bitch and complain which is going to accomplish nothing or you can look at that problem and say how do I turn that into a benefit for, for my individual operation and that's the way I try to look at everything. Everybody else oh. sees this as a problem. I'm going to turn that to my benefit. One way or another I'm going to figure this out. And Until we have a major attitude change um, we will continue to struggle as owner operators in small fleets just because we suck. Our attitudes are horrible. <laughs> we just well, it's worse than that. <laughs> one of the things that I always like in the industry is when we have a change. You know, change the hours of service. I don't care. Change them every two years. It, I, really, I know we didn't change them for sixty-five years, and then yeah, we but, started changing them every month. But you're right; it didn't matter. No, no, I don't care what you make the rule. I, I could care less. I mean, I, I'll lobby for what I want, but at the end of the day, after we have the rule, all I got to do is be able to figure out how to do it better than Joel. I think that's the point. Right. How do I do it better <laughs> than the next person? And when I did large fleets and small fleets, right. and I talk about them, it's two different right. worlds. Like, I enjoy this. This is really cool. It's First time hearing about matter. winter ops. But at a large fleet, it is completely opposite. It's almost like Star Wars Death Star. But, I'm going to buy 5,000 trucks. 
It's literally a meat grinder, by the way. When I worked and checked on with the recruiters, I was like, we have a 95%, 100% turnover. This was 5,000 trucks. They're like, yeah, we just need to keep filling in the buckets so we take them from CDL schools. So it's such an interesting thing to hear about folks who are. It's, it's two different so, worlds, and it's weird to pick because whenever we hear change, it's ATA let me, or OIDA or transport topics or landline, and it's this weird battlefield. And then all of us common people uh, or your humble expert here is trying to make a living. You're just looking up and like, what the let, hell's going on? <laughs> Let me put well, a little twist on what Henry change, said. It, it, Henry, it, hold on a second. But I, I want to make one change to that that idea of I just need to be better than Joel or better than Henry. That's not a bad way to go. I have a different approach. My tomorrow needs to be better than today. My That's next right. week needs to be better than last week. My month needs to be better than this month last year. I compete against myself constantly. So. Well, and that's good, Kevin. The, the, the one where I really learned this was back when I used to race stock cars. And we were allowed 11-inch wide racing tires. And they cut us back to eight. Well, everybody was cut back to eight, right? And, right. And, I got, it, and it didn't matter because everybody was on eight. So what did I do? I made my engine not make a bunch of bottom-end torque. And I went after the high end of it because I knew if I made the torque off the turn, I couldn't put it down anyway. Hey, Henry. I won the championship. Is that when Packard tried Same to hire thing. you? No low-end torque? but one of the things that i I think and we've talked about this multiple times and when you draw that contrast between mega fleets and owner operators them operations are never the same they never will be that's why i got out of my brothers you know our family owned and kind of went out on my own because i enjoy the efficiency part of running the business when you become a mega fleet it's all economies of scale you don't really care about efficiency it's a human resources game just like the gentleman said how fast can we turn over drivers it's a meat grinder right can we keep them in yeah it's kind of like a russian doctrine on on military and and war you know it's a meat grinder send as many as possibly can (laughs) eventually we're going to break through and and I, yeah. I kind of more like this the special forces operation kind of thing. Let's be very That's precise, right. very strategic. Let's use our head. Let's think. Let's not blame everybody else. Let's look in the mirror and take responsibility for our own actions. And let's just get smart about what we're doing. Well, yeah, and and Joel, you probably find this my hardest competition is not these big mega fleets that mm-hmm. everybody says is oh no, it's another small tr- small carrier right. that gives just as good a service and may not be as good at negotiating for a rate well let's 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 do this uh is there anybody on this call that is is needing to spend two dollars and 25 cents a mile to operate a truck let's hope not (laughs) i wonder if anybody realizes how how high that number is compared to what an owner operator can accomplish I mean, 25 feels no, way, it, it, way extremely high. I remember it used to be like buck 75, buck 80 for mega carriers, and that was like five, six years ago, back when I was doing mainline ops. But uh, 225, I don't know what you'd have to buy or what you were probably doing. But it's- well, one one of the yeah, things that that was in there that does not seem to really match <laughs> the real world across the board, they're claiming 90 cents a mile for wages and benefits for drivers. So, Kevin, I talked to my brother about that, and, you know, he's at 
you know, he's paying 65 cents and then it's another 28% on top of 65 cents a mile for benefits and taxes and all Ta- the bullshit. Taxes. So, so you're, about, I, you're about there. I, you know, I think the, the difference was they didn't clarify taxes. They did clarify benefits, but it didn't really say whether they were including the employer half of the taxes. If they do, then you're right. Yes. We, we are probably there. Yep, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's that's a that's a pretty telling number um, that should solve the driver shortage. Right. Because I've always heard it's there. It's just pay them more and, and, and we're yeah. paying them significantly more. So the driver shortage should disappear. Yep, of course. Well, now, now, now that's the next step. You got to pay them more and treat them right. Oh, come on. You can't have both. Oh, yeah, yeah. If we pay them more, we get to treat them like dogs. Because they need to make that kind of money and have a three-day work week and home at the end of that. <laughs> so, the other four so speak, speaking then, of, then of treating drivers right, so, okay, I, I have my own truck, and when I can sleep in, I like to sleep in. You know how much flack I catch? on social media when I sleep in <laughs> because I've had a schedule. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, my job about wait, dropped. They're, I, like, they're like, you sleep too much. What are you laying in bed for? You're lazy. And I'm like, I, wait, give me a break. Come on. Wait, wait a minute. You, That's you can't because be... of all the brainwashing and, and just, you know, it, pounding into your brain. More miles, more miles, uh, more miles. Uh, That's, <laughs> it's the corporations that are just, they've been doing this for, for wait, how long now? But, you know, but there, there's a problem with Joel's story here. Joel, you can't be ahead of schedule. You drive slow that, all the time. I drive too damn slow. That's exactly true. <laughs> that's all right, that. Joel. Uh, <laughs> I, I got social media one where I passed somebody doing 75 in a 75, and, and they went up on social media that I drive too fast, and I can't be concerned with fuel efficiency. So That's right. You know, I'll take the other end for you. The, it, did they? I guess they haven't seen the project you've been doing for quite some time now. <laughs> yeah, quite some time, <laughs> hey, right? the best, the very best social media response is, if you have to worry about fuel efficiency, you don't know anything <laughs> about <laughs> trucking business. That is, that is the number one. I, so you're right. You're if right. I, if I just got better rates, I wouldn't have to worry about anything that I worry about. <laughs> That's correct. I yep. know. I've... I've I, I commented on Joel's post on Facebook yesterday. He's officially an outlaw trucker now. <laughs> I am. He's, he's doing everything they say can't be done. You guys have a good weekend. I'm at my delivery that I'm at every Friday. You know, this regular schedule stuff, and i got to go to work. Uh, you mean you're at, you're at a customer's? Yeah. If yeah. Not, I have them. <laughs> that's good to know that's good to know that might be part of the secret i'm not sure yeah. all right, all right matt have a great when weekend plan- when is joel planning on graduating i know he said he got that whole thing list of things he learned and i appreciated it because you know years ago i was put through that same training that you seem to be getting <laughs> oh man i'm, 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 I'm ready for the graduation party let's break out the keg I'm catching all kinds of it, I tell you. It's crazy. <laughs> you know what does seem odd about this market? I mean, we know rates have dropped significantly, spot market for sure. Um, there's been a lot of movement rates and volumes, and it's kind of bouncing. It's all over the place. But it it's pretty interesting that we still have people doing really good revenue numbers. 
Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think yeah, I think that's absolutely. a great point. When we look at the data sets, uh, even with a the uh, spot rates, you look at DAT, truck stop, and even freight waves. I think the hardest thing when I talk to people who are not related to trucking, they're either shippers, customers, or general media, uh, they ask me, well, uh, we're telling all the drivers are going out of business. Well, I was like, it doesn't take a lot of drivers to go and change a market. Maybe 10% leave, because, you know, spots on the very margins anyway. Most freight is contracted up to 70 right. to 80%, depending upon the market. So it's fascinating because they can't wrap their head around that smaller carriers that are good at what they do and have customer relationships and limit their exposure to brokers will be successful. It blows their minds. I explained this to them. They assume that everyone's just on this thing called the spot market. And then when it goes down, they just disappear like a tide that comes out. So it's the biggest challenge to, <laughs> well, to explain and, this concept to people because one of the things uh, now our founder, Fred, Fred Fuller, says the trucking bloodbath. I'm, I'm not allowed to make such statements because uh, I'm not as cool. So um, I like to say that you know, this is the only line of work where we're talking about how many people are going to lose their jobs so the rest of them can make money. But final thoughts here, I think, is that that's the biggest challenge coming from a media standpoint. And I'm business media, so I'm not advocating. I don't get paid by any, you know, the only thing I get paid to do is sell sonar subscriptions, so whatever. <laughs> so you know where my lot might fly, but I think that's the crazy right. thing because uh, larger media outlets, you can see the angle and uh, even like transport topics, journal of commerce, everyone has a certain angle they're pushing. And it's fascinating to watch that from a big media standpoint, because no one wraps their head around that people can be successful in this market. I just wish I knew how many folks left. If you ever want one more thing, this is my crusade. If you ever find it, let me know. Where are the owner operators? Because, you know, MC numbers and everything, it's hard to quantify. So it is. And here's what can happen. You know, they've got their MC number. And within a month of things going wrong, they they bail and go to a carrier maybe and lease on, which which is fine. If that'll save your business, it, it's probably what you should do. They may have gotten so far in debt, they end up failing at that after a couple months. And, and then they may or may not go be a driver. They may just wash out of the industry. But you're right. It's hard to follow. And you can't stuff. look at it through net revocations because that's you tapping in the towel, telling the FMCSA. And a lot of folks just stop paying their insurance and park their truck. And then they'll show back up and start it again. You know, so it's, it's right, so weird right. because people are asking, well, how is the market doing? How is it going to turn out? And I, I would bet five bucks that every single outlet, including Freightwaves, we just don't know because we don't know what are happening to the owner operator. I've been saying it for about since about 2017, 2018. I can't figure out where this market's going and what's going to happen. And then we get all these weird anomalies that that seemed like it extended the good times, like the ELDs helped limited oh, yeah. capacity. It, it, it shook up the market a little bit. We got some a bump out of that that carried us into 2020. COVID screwed up everything, then all the government money, and now here we are in this goofy market that nobody really seems to know how to figure out. So, Kevin, uh, you know, trying to figure it out, let's go back because, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And on this one, I remember when I was first venturing towards becoming a owner-operator, independent owner-operator all at once, and at the time... One of the major people that was CEO of one of the major truck manufacturers at the time was saying the time of the owner-operator and independent is over. <laughs> That's I can't that tell you how many times. I, it's over. And so, now, here in 2023. Um, it, yeah. Right. 
Right. I, I remember those times. They keep coming up. Even Todd Amon, the, the founder and CEO of ATBS, I remember way back when he started to believe that. He's like, oh, you know, I looking at everything that's happening. And, and later on, he said, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. Owner-operators aren't going away. The problem, but, I think, when you get folks in the media looking at this, because the the financial information from the mega carries is so easily available. They apply what they know to the, from the megas to an individual owner operator, which isn't even close to being You right. can't do it. What, right. what, when you really stop and think about this, owner operators should be absolutely without a doubt, the most efficient operations on the road. Hands Therefore, down. Uh, hands ever, down. Are never going away. Ever. Shouldn't even be close. Unless, right. Unless we're regulated out of business never going away which is what they're trying by the way uh, well I, yeah <laughs> it, it wouldn't surprise me i guess no, some I of the bigger care but, but you know it, it's there there needs to be a balance like everything in life there has to be a balance between the big carriers and the small carriers big carriers inherently have advantages when servicing certain customers small carriers can have advantages when ser- serving other customers uh, it, it's just, you know, it's your attitude, it's your outlook more than really anything. If you're going to get all negative and say the sky's falling, the sky is falling. Um, I, well, I, just, I know a lot of mega carriers that have failed. There's, there's, there's a lot of megas that have failed. Oh, of course, because right. Express just yeah. you know, I, well, well, and uh, by, and it was really what's funny is you could tell by their share price. I think Joel brings up a humongously big point, which is a Home Depot will not talk to you unless you have like a thousand trucks, a Walmart, a Procter & Gamble, but correct, also right. a Schneider or a Werner is not going to deal with a shipper that only needs five loads a week. They need something like 500 loads correct. a week. So this, the ecosystem's there, but correct. all the analysts, their goal is to, here's a fun fact, by the way, you ever read any sell side analyst reports, it is the biggest crock of crap you can read because their goal is they will not downgrade because they need them to show up to the conferences and if they're too harsh on the ceos then they won't be able to ask questions during earnings calls this is, i learned this from a steeple guy at freightways i was like why are they, why are they always wrong he's like well so, you don't want to be the first one so you don't want to be the one who no longer gets invited to the party so the incentives are for large carriers and large shippers and so for owner operators it's very underserved and small fleets because one i can't monetize y'all as much we try I swear we do. It's just we don't know if they're going to be in business or if they can pay. And two, your mainstream outlets are going to cherry pick stories because they're pushing an agenda or maybe we need an advocacy or something like that NBC article. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. Well, now, the other thing you're forgetting of- is is the uh, the number of owner operators that do what Joel does. Now, Joel, Joel and I, uh, I'll let you guys know, I'm one of the guys that, that constantly is – is talking to Joel about Schneider and he's constantly telling me he's getting these good rates and I'm constantly looking at their thing because I'm I'm an approved hauler for them too and probably three or four others as well. And it doesn't matter when I look. Now, the other day I got something in, in the email that said it was over $3 a mile and I was like, well, wait a minute, let's go look at the other hey, carriers. Hey, so, Mac, though, yeah. the, the, there's the one strategy that, that is missing in this. When you're looking at the board, you're not ever seeing the best rates. They don't make that. it to the board. Right. They don't make it to the board. You, you well, got to kind of get in and become the hauler that the agents start to know and understand how good you are. And then they call you before that load ever hits the board. They don't want right. their best freight on the board. 
Well, wait a minute. That that depends on the carrier themselves. You know, sometimes that does work with Schneider, but if all you if all you're offering me is is penny stuff from the beginning, I'm not going to come to work for you. You have to be able to provide for me. Why am I going to come to work? Wait, wait. I got you. Got that backwards. You got that completely backwards. Yeah, you don't get the high dollar freight till you prove you deserve it. You can't walk in and ask for it in the beginning. Why would I give it to you if I'm the broker? Why would I risk? Because I'll never Uh, risk my bet. Uh, Here's why I wouldn't. I would never risk my best customer's freight on an unknown carrier. No way. I'm going to give it to the guys that have proven themselves already. Let Let me give you one of my strategies. This will probably make you crazy. Here are the two advantages owner operators have moving freight. We can control cost way better than any carrier. Hands down, it's not even close. And two, my other big advantage, I'm a problem solver. Don't give me your, you know, scheduled stuff that runs all the time. It's easy to do. Don't give me that. I used, here was my sales strategy when I wanted to work with a new broker. I would go physically visit them in person. Look, in, look them in the eye, and I would say, look, and I don't know this guy, but I, he's got freight that I want. And I, I, I'm betting that he has even better freight that I've never even seen yet. So I walk in and I say, I'd really like to, to work with you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to give me your worst load, the oh. one that is always a pain in the ass. It's probably from your, one of your good customers, so you have to do it, and you hate it. Every owner-operator, every carrier you gives it to bitches about it. There's always a problem. Give me that load. Let me see if I can make it better because that's what I do. I'm good at that. Well, I'm not saying that's wrong, okay? I've done the same when I brokered, when I, you know, used Landstar as a broker. There used to be, well, there probably still is an account out here in West North Carolina that a lot of guys would never go do because you could never tell when you got there when it was going to ship, what it was going to need equipment-wise, how many tarps you were going to need, and they were always changing it. So I was always saying, you know, I need more money, and I got more money. Now, I'll disagree because I have all of these others at my hands. I have more. I have Schneider, J.B. Hunt, Werner, Knight, <coughs> whomever else sitting here at my hands as I'm looking on the computer. So why would I, you know, cut myself, shoot, my, shoot myself in the foot? And I'm sure I could use a different analogy, but I, I'm not just going to I'm just not going to so, do that. So you and I would have to disagree, agree to disagree on that. See what I'm saying? Here's, yeah. here's my here's my mindset okay. on this. So just to use the Schneider load board. So one of the things that I know Schneider is strong in my particular area. They've got they've got stuff everywhere in northern Ohio. So it, it's it's a good area to begin with. Um, I, I know they pay their bills. I mean, I don't ever have to worry about getting paid from them. It, it's it's very quick. It's easy to do. And it generally, it's been my experience, they have their shit together. Their trailers are decent. Very rarely do I have any of those problems that I have to deal with, okay? And maybe some of the other bigger carriers have that as well. But when I look at this and I, and I just think about, okay, look at all of the loads that Schneider moves and a lot of guys have the same attitude well their load board is maybe a little bit cheaper than this next guy I'm not even going to deal with these people and to me that's an opportunity right there is my end I am going to run some loads that maybe I'm not making quite as much initially 
but I'm still profitable and I'm going to have great communication and great service. And you know what? It took about three loads and they're like, here's a person. They're going to call you whenever something pops up that we think, you know, and, and we got talking back and forth. And now this lady should call me all the time because she knows that I'm going to go out on my own stuff. She'll call me and go, oh, well, we can put an extra 200 on it if you, you know, you can run this instead of, you know, having to jump over to your other stuff right away. And it's it's actually worked out good because, like Kevin said, the good stuff doesn't always. Show I can up speak on to this mobile. actually. Uh, and, so I did both sides. Yep. U.S. Express had uh, Express Logistics, so it's a dual authority, well, kind of like a Schneider, and then also Arrive Logistics, which was like mm-hmm. a wannabe Coyote pure play. It's fascinating because, yes, when I was an account executive as a broker, because I went and dipped my feet on the other side, and it's not really the grass is greener. It's like a turd. It's all poop. Not <laughs> so as an account executive, there, there's goal, a septic tank over brokers, there. Uh, the reason they call you back is as soon as you book two or three loads with a carrier, you can get assigned a rep. So you have usually people who are searching for carriers yes. and searching for uh, customers. Chicago split. You got a customer rep and a carrier rep. When I was an account, your biggest goal as a broker is to what they call dedicated. So not like trucking where you go to like a Dollar General DC, but as in, I'm going to give you five loads a week. We've made this agreement. And all I do is send you the rate con. You're good. So when you look at their load boards, this is the stuff that they couldn't get dedicated or they haven't found a carrier for yet. (laughs) And so that's why when owner ops and small carriers are like, boy, this load board sucks. You're right. Like if I had to post on DAT, I would get yelled at and they would say, bro, why are you posting on DAT and truck stop? Well, uh, I can't find anyone internally. Oh, so you buy like crap. And they would like give me a hard time. (laughs) <laughs> so when you, when you completely, I think the best strategy for any of the brokers is determine your lane's needs. Am I going to be a transactional relationship with these brokers and load boards? Because that is a way, let's say I go from Ohio to North Carolina, I got to get back to Ohio and I can't figure it out. Well, do I want to make a, a deal? Sometimes I'll lose out on the rate, but I'll have the consistency. And those are the two biggest things because brokers, surprisingly, uh, not out of the goodness of their heart, but out of their profit sense, want to put you on a load that is repeatable and they can constantly sell to you because now let's say that I'm working with Kevin. Well, Kevin runs five loads per week with me. Now he's good. All I do is talk to Kevin once in a while and I send him stuff. Now I'm going to call another carrier and then I get a cut. So I'm going to get like 25 bucks. I don't get a lot. Average brokerage margins, like 150 bucks, except back in the, you know, you get, you get big risk. Uh, like uh, <laughs> uh, come on, come on, come on. Come on. He, he, come on. he is correct. He he, 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 he is correct. Those numbers are real. I, I deserve it. I know. I know. Oh, my goodness. I know. Hang on. Well, somebody needs to go down to waste wastewater treatment plant and dig out because that, that, that really stunk. <laughs> That's Oof, the biggest that was thing, bad. I guess, the takeaway is, is when you do want to make the deals with brokers and a really good strategy uh, is, like you said, it's hard to get access to those loads. So once a carrier is on them, your goal simply is that if they say, yeah, I do have that North Carolina back to Ohio land, but right now I've got someone on it. Well, if you feel they're worth working with and you like your rep, then you can continue doing it. But the great news is if you don't like the rep that you're working with, just don't talk to them for a while. They'll fall out of your name and you'll find somebody else because it's literally like the craziest sales thing as a broker. So I came from AI fleet. Imagine AI fleet booked 
five to 10 loads with a uh, JB Hunt rep. So they give me the rep, he grows the business, he gets a helper. But let's say I no longer like JB Hunt, they're giving me bad loads. So I'll just stop working with them, I'll go to Schneider or another one. And then eventually I could either ask for a new rep or not. So that's when you hear the relationships, it's how the brokerage business model is developed. And then, you know, you go back and forth. So uh, those are my big 10 cents. I hope it's helpful, but yeah, brokerages, you got your good and your bad ones. You've got the ones that are making $500,000 rips and they're pushing down rates. But your average broker, we used to joke it's called going native when a carrier rep would actually end up buying bad. So in this market, it can be beneficial to carriers with relationships with brokers because it's hard for younger inexperienced brokers to push back against carriers on rate because they normally get hung up on and yelled at. So it's funny when the market's good, <laughs> brokerages buy better because I don't care about the cost per truck. But when the market's bad, and this is when we see the market change, the brokers are going to get bit just as bad as the carriers because they're going to reach that point where nobody will take their loads and they're not good enough to buy and negotiate a rate. So we're starting to see that now with the layoffs and C.H. Robinson and the other ones, you know, they're going to cut headcount. Mm -hmm. But now it's bottom market, yep. in my opinion, now is the best time to figure out who are the brokerages that are worth working with? Are they paying you well? Are they giving you freight in their network? And then at the I, same time, build the I relationship. I couldn't agree more. Because just like U.S. Express getting bought out, trucking companies are looking to hit the gas in the corner. And maybe three months, six months, I, don't, I have no idea. I just know that spot rates have bottomed up to like a buck seventy-two line haul, which is removing a form of fuel. And it's uh, it's getting a little bit better. Right. So, I mean, right. I hope that's helpful. I used to do pricing and analysis and stuff, but uh, now is a great time to continue trying to find new brokers if you like them and evaluate your book of business to see if you can shop around because eventually it's going to get crazy again and you're going to have more leverage. And sure. here's another reason why this is a good time to go build relationships, because everybody has more time. The, the last three years have been so hectic. Every, all, everybody was just trying to keep freight moving out the door because everybody was making money. It, it, it's easier to build a relationship now because people have time. Well, you know, there is that book that if you're a member of uh, NASTIC, with this, which is uh, North American Small Trucking Companies, they do have that little pamphlet book. I, I really don't know what you call it. But there it, are it's the yeah, it's 23, 24 best broker directory, 31st edition. It was published in June of 23. Um, and in the back of it, they also have uh, if you have that manual and you're looking at it right now with me, uh, page 50, it says previous broker of the year award winners. And then the next page, it says criteria for nominating a best broker of the year. Um, so those are people that you definitely would want to try to you know, work with. But there is one here that I hate to say got caught. I think I think they fired the guy and this this blew up all over the Internet. J.H. Uh, Rose Logistics, how they made it previous broker of the year with that mud on their face uh, sort of concerns me. And Epps Logistics concerns me after what um, I just was given proof of the other day. So. You have to take a little bit of, of salt with all this stuff. And this other one that's on there, Suddeth, S-U-D-D-A-T-H, there seems to be a lot of complaints online about them as well. So let me uh, let me let me address this. Not really some, sure. 
I'm really familiar with this program. I'm working with um, David Owen at NASTIC now. We're going to, this is their vetted broker program is what it is. And I think the list has probably got 150 to 200 brokers on it. So you're going to have some people drop out. You're going to have people over time that management changes. Maybe they shouldn't be on that list anymore. They'll eventually end up off if that's the case. David does a great job of vetting that list. But oh, they one fired of the, the guy immediately. Yeah, they they yeah. let him go. Once they found out, I'm sure that the, you know, I don't know the owner personally, but he, he was pretty hot. You could tell that. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, you know, if you can't watch all the chickens that are in your coop, well, then, um, you know, yeah. it's it, and the other two that we know about, they are going through and cleaning house as we speak right now. But um yeah. One of one of the programs projects we're working on with this list. I I've, I've done a show multi it's it's the most difficult show I've ever tried to do. This will be my either third or fourth attempt to bring this show back and I keep trying because I want it to work. It's a show we called Broker Connect. So we bring a broker on we talk about their operation. We talk about the kind of freight they move, their lanes, that kind of stuff, what, what they look for in a small carrier. And then we open up the phones and say, look, ask them anything. Let, let's just talk. Let's talk about things other than just arguing about rates all the time, because that's all these two groups seem to do is fight and argue about rates and whose fault this was. So I said, Let, let's just talk and start building relationships. The first time I attempted this, I was still on Sirius XM. It was the first segment I have ever done where I couldn't get a phone call. I brought the broker on. We talked for 30 minutes. I said, okay, let's let's get some calls. Total silence. The problem, I think, and and we do this, we, we were referring to them as brokers and you should probably call it customer connect and you'd probably yeah, get 5,000 phone calls. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. Maybe I should well, do but that. Think about this. We keep calling yeah. these guys brokers and in behind it in parentheses evil. <laughs> You're right. You're right. You it's know? a mindset. And, and, and that well, is well what else are they, Joel? Well, they're uh, customers. I mean, I'm not trying they're to be mean, they, but this they is are what your customers. They, they are your are, customers. They are my customer. And, and here, here's, here's what I'll tell you. So, you know, occasionally I'll read these guys that will review a broker and they'll be bitching up a storm because the delivery address wasn't right or a time was wrong. <laughs> All these things, like when, when I do my, my direct customer, no broker involved, but when I do my direct customer, I get a handful of 23 bills of lading to places I've never been to before. I don't know their hours. I don't know their addresses, really. I knew points. You know, we we build the points and we give them a rate. I've never been to half the customers. So, you know, I'm, I'm on the phone calling them. I make it work. I don't, I don't. You you solved your own problem. A lot of the complaints that guys are bitching about brokers are, are stuff like that, which is very simple to solve on your own. And I, I, you know, everybody has different tolerances for this. So I see them as my customer. I'm going to help my customer out. Their, their address was wrong. So I'm going to call them and say, hey, look, your address is wrong. Here's the correct address. You know, let's, let's try to pass it on to the next person. Hopefully it happens. Or the receiving hours were wrong or whatnot. Did it screw my day up? Yeah, it may or may not have. But I always try to get out ahead of it and just confirm everything that my customer gives me in terms of the information on on the load to make sure it goes right we've already agreed to a rate 
Um, so that should not be part of the problem. If if the rate's not good, just don't haul it. Don't don't take the loan. <laughs> right. Right. So beyond that, once you've agreed on the rate, you you have the the chance of maybe you get held up at a shipper or a receiver, correct? And so hopefully ahead of time, you've talked about proactively, you've talked about detention time. Hopefully a lot of guys don't, you know, they'll get, they'll get someplace and all of a sudden they're hung up. And then the, 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 what the, are you the do broker, right. The broker's like, yeah, yeah. They call them up with nothing really in mind. Yeah. What are you going to do for me on this? Well, you know, let, let's try and have that stuff handled proactively when you take the load, you know, oh, by the way, if we're detained, it's 50 bucks an hour, seven, whatever that number is, you know, whatever you're comfortable with or whatever they decide that they're going to come back to you and say, okay, this is what we pay. And then if you don't negotiate. like it at that point, right, if you don't like it at that point, you negotiate it or you just don't take the load. There's no sense getting upset, pissed off at these people. Make sure all that stuff is handled ahead of time. And, you know, right. when, when a broker gets small details wrong you know I, I see guys get really really upset over that and i'm just thinking to myself i, I don't understand i, I, I well, truly don't and, and maybe but, maybe i'm wrong or maybe i'm unique in that way but you know i just see that as that's that's trucking man i, I i've dealt with that my whole entire life i well, I, I don't know can i jump in um, I think that part of the problem a big huge part of the problem we had a, a discussion on this in one of the mag emission spaces uh, a few weeks ago where one of the fellows was saying that he could go through and look at his rate contract and and scratch things out and then send it back to the broker and the other guy said if he does that they'll laugh at him take him off the account or or, or hauling all together now now both cases and both situations are very true and, and it does depend on your relationship with those people as to how the rate confirmation sheet and everything else transpires and moves forward now, my question to you, Joel, would be for you to question those guys. Are they reading their rate confirmations? Because if you look at this RMIS, I, I signed a contract the other day and I looked at it and I was like, well, I'm not really sure. OK, well, we'll look at it and, and we'll go from there. I read on there that there's a certain amount of detention time and on it mm -hmm. where the RMIS says you cannot edit or scratch out or anything else of this contract. So I'm like, OK, so this broker is not ready, willing, or able to, to be negotiable on anything. They okay. are specifically saying they are the boss, so then it's let, up to me to decide whether or not I want to haul for them. Uh, let okay, me make exactly. a point here. Let me make a point here. If you are trying to negotiate with somebody that you do not have a solid relationship with, it is never negotiation. It's haggling. There's a difference. It's always going to be about price and price only because you two don't know anything about each other to negotiate anything other than price. So it's just haggling and it's what we call win-lose. If the broker gets to keep a little more, he won and I lost. If I get to take a little more, I won and he lost. I hate that. Once you develop a relationship, now you okay. can have true win-win negotiations, and it's probably not going to be about price. It's going to be about other things. So when I hear somebody say, brokers won't negotiate, you're right. They won't until you have a relationship. Other than that, it's just haggling. I got a great well, you're I, right to a degree. You, I'll agree with you on that, you know, but uh, like I said, uh, well, I'd have to ask Joel, why are these guys not reading over these contracts? It's right in those contracts. And you have the ability 
uh, someone was talking about the tariff. They have a tariff. They send it in with everything that they've got. So they have that as well. I mean, you've got to be able to do. And what we're asking is we're, we're telling people these things, okay, that they're really not. And we're going to circle back to this thing that we keep coming back to is knowledge and education. And the thing about trucking over the past couple of years is, unfortunately, it's the story of the tulips. Exactly. Oh, there's money in trucking. Well, let's go. Let's pay $300,000 for a brand new tractor. Let's not think about anything else. So, you know, and, let's just do that. And then, this, oh, my this, God, we're in trouble now. And <laughs> you you, you just challenge. said it, though. The only thing that will ever fix that is education. This is a challenge, though, that has always been in the industry even when we were regulated i think we, we'd always had this this kind of issue is lack of education you know people aren't doing they're not doing their due diligence let's let's just face it whether it's on the driver's side or the broker side you know there's a lot of miscommunication so you know i i go out of my way to communicate clearly with schneider and 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 the lady that i work with there um, you know, I, I maybe update her too often on things if there's such a thing. You know, she's getting an email from me basically every couple hours. I'm here. I'm here. This is what's happening. This is what's <laughs> going on. And um, you know what? It, it avoids a lot of problems. You know, you, you kind of learn over time, obviously, questions to ask as, as far as like the detention stuff. I can remember years ago when it was with my brother, we got into a situation where we hadn't asked those questions early on in, in the relationship. We got under a load and we got hung out for 16 or 18 hours somewhere and they sent us a check for 150 bucks. We're like, what's this? Well, we pay, we pay you $50 an hour for the first three hours and then you're on your own. It, oh. you know, it, 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 yeah. So, so is that, was that the broker's fault and are they evil for that? No, it was us being stupid because we didn't read the fine print. So I learned a lesson and I'll never make that mistake again. And, and you know, when I see that type of stuff, so many times it'll say, you know, okay, we're, we pay you 50 bucks an hour, maximum three hours and say, Hey, look, I really would like to haul this load, but I'm not cool with that detention. Okay. What do you want? You know, sometimes they'll change. Sometimes they won't, you know, it just depends on the market and you know, All right, well, you got to work with these guys. You know, that that's the thing is you have to be willing to work with these guys and, and something you guys said earlier, um, I deal with like three or four of there's this one kid who just answers and um, I, I just, I said, look, I said, the best thing that's going to happen right now between you and me is I'm going to hang up. And immediately I hung up and I sent an email in. And the guy that I normally deal with calls me back and I said, listen, I said, you need to talk to those kids. I said, because I tell you what, I said, if, he, if I was running for him, I'd tell you cancel the contract so, right now because I'm not so, going to do, I'm not going to be talked to like that. I'm just not. He, Here's 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 the thing when it comes to situations like this. I think a lot of times we take it much too personally when this is just business and you, you can't take it personally. So when when I get something stupid with a rate that's just dumb like that, you know, I, I don't I'm not like, well, I'm going to hang up on you and any of that stuff. Go, well, that's great. I hope it works for somebody else. But unfortunately, I can't do that at this rate. And they'll go, OK, let's see if we can find something else. You know, and, and then you keep looking. So I try not to get confrontational or adversarial. I know sometimes it's harder than hell and you've really oh, yeah. got to bite your tongue. You know, there are times when that happens. But when, when it, you always have to remember it's business. It's not personal. They are not. Well, they are not. 
I'll wake up in the morning and go, you know what? I know this owner-operator. He's called me, and I am going to screw him good today. That's not happening. No, no, that's that's not – I agree with you 100%, but that's that's not the – the example I'm speaking on it just was the kid the kid didn't have any idea on how things worked and he I, he decided he was gonna you know, you know puff it. up his chest and, and behave a certain way and I was like listen I I can pick it up today and still deliver it tomorrow you know way way within the boundaries of their pickup and deliveries and uh, he was he was really pissed I had already made arrangements with with the guy that I normally deal with and so you know, I don't know. It's, it's like these new kids. Um, I, I went the other day to a local garage and I put it up on Facebook. The kid had blocked the um, the entrance completely. And instead of him, you know, figuring out he was in the wrong, he, he decided to step out of his truck and amp up about it. And um, once he figured out I wasn't backing down, <laughs> about 20 minutes later, he comes up and says, Look, man, I, 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 I'm, I'm good with you, man. And I looked at him like, well, What do you mean? <laughs> and I said, I understand you young kids have to make your mark in the industry, and, you know, and stand up for yourselves. But this is the wrong way to do this. He's like, yeah, I, I, I realize that. And then I found out who he runs for. And I talked to the boss. I said, well, it's no wonder he's mad. He's running for this company called Cloud Trucks. Oh, I said, no, do you know what they do? Truck. And he's like, no. And I said, he can't make any money running for them. I said, this is a total scam. And I said, you know, that's the one thing. Joel, and I know that Kevin has, has uh, repeatedly stated he is not, you know, advocacy. And, and I, I understand that 100 percent. I know you are, are advocating for 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 uh, for the pay and, and the change on the uh, uh, FLSA to include overtime. And I think that's awesome. Uh, but these these kids come in here and they get scammed. And this is what this federal lease task is is about. And hopefully they will do something about it. I read they an won't. article from. Uh, and I, don't, I, I the, there's not nothing that can will. be done. And I'm not saying well, they're not going to try that, but but it might. We've talked about you can't outregulate ignorance. You just can't. I'm not saying I'm not saying you're wrong on that point. You know, and and we got into. I, I don't want to take the whole discussion towards predatory leasing, but there are people who just still don't even understand that and the 1099 and everything else. And that would take many many shows to get that through. But, um, you know, I mean, th- these guys, you, once, I mean, go ahead. To say, go you're ahead. not going to regulate because the people that are signing these deals, they don't care how impossible the numbers are. They right. got their big eyes saying, I'm going to make $10,000 this week. I'm going to make, you know, unrealistic numbers because someone put it in front of me and I want to believe it. And, and, and what are you going to do? You're not going well, to be that. It all depends on how the Department of Labor moves forward and what happens with Julie Sue. And if guys aren't watching this who are leased to companies, they, they need to be watching this. Everyone that I talk to, in fact, most of the guys that I say, you know, if, if you want to know if your contract is actually legal underneath the current regulations, you need to send it to me or someone who's going to help you understand what exactly your contract says. And the problem is guys don't even want to do that either. Because if they come through with this, and this is where the Department of Labor is headed, there's going to be a lot of guys who are going or scratching their heads going, what do I do now? Go get your own authority. That's going to I be the only option if you want to keep your truck. When I did, uh, worked at a mega carrier. We had lease purchase programs and specifically LP recruiters. We went through third party called Tell. Uh, and the secret is uh, 
If you imagine you're a large carrier, you're depreciating your trucks and you want to resell them. So it's really clever. And what you do is you sell them a lightly used Cascadia. That's why the insides, I joke, of Cascadias are all made of heavy duty plastic because you don't know if you piss off a driver and he's going to try to tear it up. So it's harder to break. <laughs> a little bit of thoughts from the inside. But uh, no money down, no credit check. Drivers, it's crazy because the force dispatch model forces drivers to be sent loads. And so they're like, well, I want to pick my own loads. I'm going to go LP. Well, the problem is from a carrier standpoint, if you want to see how the sausage is made, I can't have too many lease purchases and owner operators in my network. When I did network design, when we're going through 2,500 trucks and about 10,000 loads per week, if I gave a quarter of them and allowed the them to cherry pick it, it would actually screw over the OTR drivers. So if on, a, on the, the flip side, ironically enough, the large fleets may police themselves because you can't go above 25% lease prices when you wreck your network. And if you keep lending, you're <laughs> yeah, going to get no. your trucks trashed, and then you're going to have even more problems than if you just simply sold it to a small carrier in the first place. What what you just said is exactly why my brother's fleet does not have owner-operators or, or leased operators yep. or any of that, because it, it screws the the company drivers over, and he just ain't having it. You know what I mean? Hell, I don't even get... Here much stuff for my brother unless they're buried and he calls me and i happen to be around and he says hey can you do something for me and yada yada i mean that's just the way it is hey, here's well, the that's, problem that's the reverse of where, of where our opportunity was is we're strictly owner operator carrier you know correct the right. shipper shipper done and yep. coming in there were so many people with bad attitudes that wouldn't do this or wouldn't do that we were able to slide in and build our fleet to pick up the slack and take all the dedicated stuff. And, you know, we have a, a certain relationship that takes care of, you know, where they take care of us and vice versa. But, you know, and I watch where they've pissed off everyone that works there within a couple of years. Here's the and problem just, with lease purchase. I, I've said this so much. This problem's not going away, but this is it. I don't care. And I've reviewed so many of these, I can't even count them. Some are actually really well written. They they actually give the owner operator a chance that he might make it. Here's the problem with right. all of them. I don't care how good it is. I don't care if it's the best lease purchase ever written. The reason you created it is the problem. You created this program to put people in business that are not ready or have no right to be in business, in business. over 90% of the time. So I don't care how good the program is. It's going to be a failure if this person was ready to be in business the way they should be, they would not need your lease purchase program. They'd just go buy their own truck. So these well, things, I don't want them regulated out of existence, but they, they just shouldn't exist. They will never work. Kevin, the, the, this was always my thing from the very beginning when I was getting ready to get started on my own. And I've never been leased to anybody, but I drove for private carriers before that. But I remember looking at all these lease purchase deals, and I'm not a lawyer or nothing, but the biggest thing that would not escape me if there's more money in owning the truck why would the carrier want to sell me the truck if there's more money in well, owning the I, truck I, 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 I could actually I, I make an argument that. for that I, I could make an argument for that and it's what Joel said earlier if we look at the movement of freight from point A to point B the most efficient way to get it there is an owner operator Somebody okay. who's got skin in the game for every mile. So I, I get it. I think it is a good model.
The lease purchase doesn't work no matter how good we make them because the reason they exist is a problem. They exist uh-huh. to put people in business that aren't ready to be in business. Or, or to dispose of trucks. Disposing right, of trucks right. The, is the carrier the gets two benefits. When I worked with LPs, I, 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 they right, never it woke is. Up and was I like, know. Well, and they're forced to, it's what's crazy. The reason recruiting departments at large carriers push it so much is because they're pushed to make a, it's a numbers game. So you have to sell a certain amount. And so when I worked with recruiters, it never was, it's on the bright side. I know it's really exploitive. Um, they never felt like they were trying to take advantage of people. They're saying, well, I really got to get to my five or my 10. Uh, a week because I don't know if they're going to clean. Well, well, of course they have. They have to justify it to be able to sleep yeah, at night. And it's it's fascinating because I do think it's not been reported enough just how exploited people can be on these things. Because it reminds me of how uh, in the Big Short where they were selling to strippers five homes, it was the same thing almost selling somebody a home on the road. You know, you see these people no money, nothing down, and we're just sending it to them. And I think most media outlets have so far not really covered it because it's just not as much attention in the groups of people who have reached. Now, owner operator communities and small fleets, this own ecosystem is very very well you know familiar with it but when i go to like conferences and other places it's remarkable how little the major players in this industry are actually understand what's going on with the people who are hauling things in the industry and that's a big one lp owner i hated it too when i was a fleet manager because you tell that some of them just didn't know what they're getting into and it was it was rough you know when when i saw one of the lp training programs and one of the big things they were training guys on was only buy enough fuel to get you to your destination. Don't leave <laughs> fuel in the truck on the weekends. I, I almost lost my mind. You're training them to fail. Yep. Well, or you're, you're training them to be your best employees. They can never afford to go home. <laughs> and and yep. the reason this came up, I know exactly why they started this training, and several carriers do this, is because – the program sucks so bad. The guy doesn't know how to run a business or woman or whatever. So they end up with no settlement at the end of the week. All of the money they made goes to truck payments, insurance, fuel. And then they go in and bitch to their driver manager. I, I don't have a settlement. Oh, well, it's because you bought too much fuel this week. If you wouldn't have bought that last tank, you'd have $500 in your pocket right now. Yeah. Well, well no, you wouldn't because you'd have to spend it on Monday to go deliver freight. That's not. If you're calling in a large carrier and you're calling your driver manager for help because recruiting sold you something, that's a tale as old as time. When I was a driver manager before I started at a small fleet and had to really pay attention to driver stuff, they're not really equipped to uh, to deal with pay. And they're no, you're they're just not to like deal with. Of course not. Answering phone calls, you're segmented, and then at a small fleet, like if you have one to five trucks or an owner up, you're doing all the jobs. Look. Look, I, I will say this. I've worked with lots of small, medium, and very large carriers that contract owner-operators. 90% of the time, there's nobody in the building that could help these guys. No, not, not at all. The cloud trucks was very fascinating because my startup, we tried doing – so when AI fleet and cloud trucks both use technology to pick loads, and the shtick was cloud trucks wanted to do owner-operators. And when we tried it, we had the biggest problem because either our owner-operators were not as educated or they didn't trust uh were able to pick loads or their trucks broke or you know there would be issues and you wouldn't really know and i wasn't qualified enough to help them run the truck because i came from mega carrier you know we didn't well and, and let's say this i i just said there's nobody in the building that that could help these guys so what there shouldn't be 
you decided to go into business. You, you should be able to figure this out yourself. The, the carrier, you're just contracting to them. There's nothing that says they should help you run your business. And honestly, I think it's it's a bad idea. Well, if you need your carrier to, to help you run your business, you shouldn't be in business. Well, Just, and, and think about this. Think about this. So and this is kind of funny because our dispatchers at, at my brother's fleet, when just to help a company driver from time to time, what's the feedback you get from that company driver? You sit behind a desk. You ain't going to tell me how to run this son of a bitch up and down the road. That's what you get. You're right. Uh, yeah. that, that is a huge, huge problem. Yeah, it is. And even more so with a owner-operator or a lease purchase guy who thinks now I'm a real trucker. You ain't telling me shit. <laughs> and it, 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 it's a huge, huge problem. Uh, what, what I found to be a problem back when I was a flatbed carrier and I had five people leased to me. They wanted me to start up these programs to take advantage of them. And I'm like, no, if you're going to be here, you're an owner operator, do your deal. But they kept asking me to come up with programs for them. And I'm like, if I come up with that program, it's going to be to make me money because I have to put effort into it. No, just be an you're owner right. operator. You're good. And it, it was insane. And I could see because I was always like, why do carriers do this? Then I started having them come. The one you remember when the one company was doing, they were paying their fuel surcharge by the state. Yes. Remember that advertising? And and they called me up that Monday. They heard it on the radio on Nemo. And and they're like, well, you ought to be doing that. That would be more fair. And I said, I'll tell you what. I says, you think about that all week and get back to me on Friday. If you want me to do that, I will be glad to do that. <laughs> but, but you think about that. And then he's like, oh, that'd take California off the books, New York out of the books. But you're charging on all that national. Yeah, the, yeah, dude. Yep. The, the idea of fuel surcharge by lane, not even by state, by lane, um, uh, ProMiles has a whole system they developed and and honestly, it, it is what we should be using, but it's much more fair to the shipper than it is the owner-operator. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, well, it, today's carrier, system benefits the, the owner-operator. Today, so we should, yeah, it, as a carrier, you shouldn't want them to mess with this. No, I was going to bill the customers the same way, but if, if they wanted me to pay them broken down by the state in the lane, hey, that's just... Yeah, yeah. The, the, the idea of fuel surcharge by the lane is actually a more accurate, fair way to do it, but it ends up benefiting the shipper usually more than the carrier. That's right. Hey, Kevin, if I could jump in there. It's sure. Bad. Yeah. You guys are asking there about uh, somebody mentioned a little while back. I've been listening here. We need to jump in in the right spot, not step on somebody. About $2 a mile for expenses for the week. You have to uh, this week. Somebody mentioned way back. What do you have to do to run at two dollars of expenses to to haul yeah. for the week, and what kind of freight rate? Well, this week for me happens to be one of those weeks with what I do. So I'm in British Columbia, Washington State only this week. I had a huge week. I mean, it's just under three thousand miles, but I was only empty for two hundred and eighty-five of them. My costs, all costs, so maintenance, insurance, the whole thing, two dollars and seventeen cents a mile. But I still netted two dollars and fifty-seven cents a mile. Wow! Miles. Holy cow! But I only have one of these. Yeah, I have one of these months once a week. But it was into and out of the shipper, shipping and receiving. I had two two round trips with zero empty miles, and the one round trip had two hundred eighty-five. 
and I had to come to Tri-Cities over to Aberdeen, Washington. I know you're familiar with this area. Oh, yeah. yeah. Going, going, basically, when I run from the border at Vancouver, I don't cross at Vancouver, I'm out in the valley a bit, down to even Eugene, Oregon. That's, that's sort of my main route. And then over to Napa, Idaho, That's I run that triangle for the most part. I'm in that area every single week. I'm home every weekend. Once you cross into British Columbia, I mean, I'm doing that with seven and eight axles. So I'm either right. I'm right. either zero. My 285 miles was zero weight, but I still weigh with my seven axle setup. I still weigh 35,000 pounds empty with my yeah. doubles on an eight axle setup. I weigh 42,000 pounds. And like if I talk about fuel mileage, Henry and Joel probably just will drive off the road because I'm doing 5.8 US miles per gallon for the year. And there's lots of guys in BC are doing 3.5. I was going to say, I, I, I'll be cheering those numbers. When you explain the operation and then telling me you're getting 5.8, that's incredible. Yeah, I'm in profit gauges. And you could probably, well, Aaron could grab my, I should have crawled in with my, with my um, profit gauges today with Matt. Being yeah, there. see. But I, this year, I'm actually just a little bit below what I was last year. But for all miles from January till the end of, I haven't done June yet, to the end of May, this, I'm 409 gross you're bringing up you're bringing up an issue where ignorance really hurts a lot of people and what i mean by this is um joel or henry if you guys were able to get an extra half mile per gallon right now which i I would almost say is almost impossible for either one of you two unless we got some new big breakthrough but if you got it a half mile per gallon it would be significant for you but it would not even come close to what it does for a guy getting four miles to the gallon. Correct. A half mile to the gallon to a guy that gets four is such a huge increase in profit. But here's, we come back to Joel's, the idea of mindset and attitude, the mindset in all of these operations, car haulers, heavy haulers, I don't get good fuel economy no matter what I do, so why would I try? That is the worst attitude you could ever take in one of those operations. Yeah, they're, I'm, almost, they're, sorry, yeah, I'm, almost, I'm almost doubling some of those guys who say it doesn't matter what I do. Correct. They run so let, let's tires on 24 fives. They drive <laughs> 70, 70 miles an hour. And once you, I know you've been up to Vancouver, but I don't know if you've ever ventured outside of Vancouver, B.C., but when you're in Vancouver, show me a flat direction out of there other than Ex- back into the There's none. Right. It's, you're right. Like, I've, got, it, I've got one pole that comes out of Hope, and which is part of that TV shoot show, Highway Through Hell. That is a 45-minute so, climb, and it's got anywhere from 6 to 9%, and it is 40 minutes of climbing. They call it smash wow. for a reason because you get it. I'm in the basement. I've got a DD-16. Now, it is an older truck now. It's a 2015, but it's spec for heavy haul. So I'm a DD-16, 18-speed, 390 gears, and I'm still in the basement to get up that hill. Joel could help like, you, but we'll, we'll move on to it. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it just says, well, yeah. No, I, I, I tried right. specking a Volvo, and they told me I don't – the salesman here is like, no, you don't want iTorque. It won't work for you. Uh, no, no, you Joel, won't have this. I said jo- – Joel uh, can I, help you. It will, but, yeah. <laughs> but let's go back to something you said, and I think we should start saying it different. I think it would have a bigger impact. You said they're getting, you know, this miles per gallon. I'm 3.5. almost – doubling them and you're correct but what we should say it like this i'm spending half as much on fuel as they are well yeah i agree and they but they bitch about the rate they're usually it tends to be the guys that drive the 389 and the wls that are complaining about it but that's always my point 
but when I work it out with them, I said, like, so I spent $45,000 a year less in fuel than you did. We drove the exact same amount of miles. I got, I usually average about 111,000 miles annually. Does that ever get through to them? Does that number ever get through to them? Do they realize how big that is? No, not really. Not until you start saying, well, how many years do you have left on your mortgage? Because if you take it, I've been doing this for 18 years and I paid my mortgage off eight years early. And they said, all I get was, well, you don't have kids. I'm like, well, that's how your personal expenses got out of. (laughs) Right. Like, Uh, I mean, unless the kid, it might be helpful to grease the trailer. So I don't have to do it. uh, Yeah, there you go. It's it's the mindset, and and things are slowing down quite a bit. I do primarily lumber south, and then I do building supplies and all kinds of stuff north. And it's getting slower, so guys are driving harder instead of driving like I'm like just do easier miles an hour. Right. When I what are you in a hurry for? Yeah, with the kind of weight and the terrain that we have to drive, and then you throw winter into it where it can snow three inches during a brake check because it's so high up there. It's almost five thousand feet. You go like. My, I work every, every time I do a rate for one of the customers, I work it out at 50 miles an hour. That is my average speed for a week. I don't get over that. I just, I mean, a Washington right. state, I can average right. 60, but as soon as I start climbing in, in British Columbia, I'm doing like 15 to 20 <laughs> right. miles an hour. Yeah. I'm in the slow right. lane the whole way with the fan locked on because it's just, and even at that, on some of the days when we get up to a hundred degrees, I got to turn the air conditioning up to get up over that hill. And this thing's got a huge radiator in it. Like it's got lots of it's not i'm not having the problems i used to have with like columbia with that little tiny air vent this cascadia has got a huge amount of air that it moves through it well there's another lesson here can i ask a question yeah go ahead mac are are you using the fleet air uh air filter yeah i picked up a half mile per gallon when i did that so i have a on my eight axle setup because i've had it the longest it has it's eight axles when i'm loaded it has no caps i run all low pro not low pro i all 11 or 22 fives but all lower rolling resistance tires no caps anywhere. Fleet air filters. I had Road King shocks, but they wore out. Um, air tabs, OPS, catalyst, and everything is at 120 PSI for tire pressure. I do that all myself. It's just the terrain. It's just so but steep once you start the, leaving the lower mainland of Vancouver or British Columbia. The, the fact that what you get your, 5.8 is incredible. really is. What about I'm, your charge air average, cooler? Is that stock? No, I have a Duralite in here. Because I hit okay. a bear. And hey, I got to hop off. Okay. Does that give great you more you. volume than the stock charge air cooler? No. Uh, let me, no, let me address same. Let me address the charge air cooler okay. itself. I, I'm a Pete. big fan of Duralite. I used to work pretty closely with them. Um, Duralite's advantage is it has zero advantage over an OEM cooler that doesn't leak. If the OEM cooler is not leaking and we test it two ways, we pressure test it and we smoke test it. If it's not leaking, it will give you the exact same performance as the Duralite will. There will be no difference. The advantage to the Duralite is the way it's built. It probably won't ever leak. They have a million mile warranty. The OEM's charger cooler, uh, I think the number is like, 40% of coolers that are just two years old are leaking. It's when they start leaking, you lose your performance. And nobody knows they're leaking unless you test them. Right. Pressure test them. Yeah. The other question I would have. Yeah. Duralite's good. There there are other companies that do custom make them. So if if you're interested in that, um, I can give you some some pointers to do that. 
that here's make the them key. bigger. Here, here's the key. Well, bigger really doesn't do us a lot of good. I mean, unless well, the the only time is if you're going up to crazy high horsepowers, and and that that's just not efficient either. I mean, five fifty, six hundred, that's a pretty efficient range. Get any higher than that where you need bigger turbos, more air volume. You're just not efficient up there anyway. The difference in Duralite, most charger coolers, all the OEM charger coolers, are welded and soldered, the tubes to the tank. They're welded and soldered. Over time, they'll crack and leak. Um, Duralite uses rubber grommets. That's the big difference. That's why they last so long and they don't leak. It's the rubber grommets rather than the welding or soldering. Yeah, they've been around for a while. They're, They're reputable. Yeah, I do are. have and another also... question. Oh. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, uh, have Duralite, you changed... when I had to re... oh, sorry, when I had to replace sorry. my Duralite, it was actually $300 cheaper than the OEM replacement from Freightliner. So wow, it was a no-brainer. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't yeah, know where the guy got it. I, now I did it before COVID. I have no idea what the prices are now, but I did it in 2017 or 18 when I hit, or I said so the bear hit me, but. Still, it, it was $300 cheaper than the OEM, and you got the seven-year warranty instead of, I think, you get a one- or two-year warranty from Freightliner. Right. I think. so. The I other question I have is, uh, what about your air-to-air boots? Have you, have you looked at the inside? This is where a lot of guys um, don't know, and this is where education is key. Some of those boots, they will wear from the inside out, and they'll get little uh, spider cracks in them. And then you'll you'll actually it will actually go through, and then that's when they tend to blow. So I usually replace mine every so often, no matter what condition they're in. Um, but mine, you're doing heavy yeah. haul. I'm not doing heavy haul anymore um, with with the yes, truck sir. I have now. I probably could, but um, have you looked at the? Have you taken them apart and looked at the insides of those? Actually, this year they've all been replaced because I had to. Good. Uh, what, it, was, it wasn't the boot that cracked. It was one of the one of the clamps that cracked that went off. The, mm. Yeah, I have had hey. them replaced. And then hey, this Mac. year happens to be... Oh, uh, keep going, Rick. Good. Keep going. Oh, this, we'll jump this in this when year, you're actually, done. I'm jumping up at... So you guys are talking about rebuilding engines at a million miles. I'm going to hit a million miles on this truck this year. And I'm actually... It is more efficient for me to put a brand new engine in this truck than to do the head. Because <laughs> I'm starting to get a valve that's going to tulip in it. So August 1st, I'm putting a brand new DD16 in this thing. Wow. Uh, oh, and the cost on that is unbelievable. Ah, I can't, but I can't even can imagine. Is, well, it's 73,000 Canadian. Wow. Them, which wow. I think is about 65 US. But yeah. they can do it in seven days. If I put a head on it, they still need it for seven days. Oh, and yeah. And if I long block it, yeah. the order time for a long block is just as much as for a whole engine. And with a Might whole as well do the engine. Not that the warranty really matters, but I get three years of warranty, and the only thing they take off of this existing engine is my alternator and the air conditioning condensed compressor. And I just upgraded my alternator to 275 amp after listening to Joel because I was having problems with my electric air conditioner not getting enough charge. So when I park, my AG, my AGMs wouldn't keep up. Like if I go right. to Idaho and it's 105 degrees, about four and a half hours into sleeping, suddenly it's 80 in the cab. <laughs> it's just, Yeah, that's no it's fun. Just, <laughs> no, it's not. But it's, hey. so that we're going to miss a week of freight. Hey, hey Mac, one of the things we don't, I agree with you that we have to pay attention to the boots and a lot of times they'll deteriorate from the inside. I don't recommend taking them apart to inspect them. We actually see people create problems when they do it. They didn't have a leak. They take it apart. Everything looks okay. 
they put it back together and end up with a leak when they put it back together. And it's time consuming. So we actually developed a smoke test. So the pressure, yeah. the, the traditional pressure test, all they really check is the charger cooler. You block off one side, you put your pressure on the other side, right. you're testing the cooler. Yeah. We take a smoke machine and we, we insert it into the intake manifold in the ether port. You just screw it in there. You take the air filter out on the other side, put a garbage bag over it and stick it back in so that side is sealed. And then we run smoke through the whole system. We can yeah. find leaks in the turbos. We can find leaks in the boots. We can find leaks all over like that. Yeah, that works too. You know, it, it shouldn't be that hard. I, I you know, well, I, I should probably correct that. You know, um, it, it can be hard, and I can understand how how people can you know not do it. I mean, when when we see one of the biggest things that we saw for a while on the Volvo Truckmasters page was people putting fuel filters on wrong, and I'm like, really? Is it really? And then I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, all right, well, whatever. Um, one of my jokes is NASCAR's got nothing on me when I'm changing fuel filters. Let's get it done. Let's go. Let's race. Let's time it. <laughs> you know, but I'm so used yeah. to, you know, with the heavy horsepower cats, you're so used to changing the fuel filters anyways. It's like, okay, we know how to do this. So, you yeah. know, uh, but that's right. one thing that right. guys should carry with them all the time is extra filters and a filter wrench. Absolutely. You know? I, I oh. couldn't agree. And, you know, if we talk about the charger cooler, we're back to the same issue. It's education. Many yes. owner operators don't know how a charger cooler works. They don't realize if it's leaking, you could lose a half mile per gallon. And you don't know if it's leaking unless you test it. Because you'll ask them, how do you know your charger cooler is not leaking? Well, of course it's not. Well, you can't know that. It's leaking air. You can't see it. You won't hear it. You got to test yeah. for it. So it, it's really another education thing. All right. We are at the easy, four minute warning. I'm wrapping at the, this up. An easy way minutes. to do it is also the spray bottle. A lot of the guys who will get a, 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 a soapy water spray bottle, you put a little bit yeah. of Dawn in there yeah. and then you put water in it. You spray it all around your charge air cooler and you wait a few moments. I mean, that's, that's one of the hardest things with the Volvo. All the guys complain about the air leaks everywhere and then they can't find them. Yeah, what I've found is you have to be extremely patient with these Volvos. You'll go soak everything down with your soapy water as to where it is in the location, which gauge is, you know, which on the dash is leaking. That will tell you where to go start spraying. And then you you got to wait 5, 10, sometimes 15 minutes, and then you'll see it. You may even have to go back and re-soak all the areas that where you're trying to look for that leak. And then all of a sudden, there it is, you know, and it, it's very yeah. evident then, yeah. so... Air leaks are frustrating, no doubt. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, there is a. I'm 100 feet long, and I got two trailers. <laughs> <laughs> trying to find these things. Yeah. Like, well, it only oh. it only leaks when it's minus 15 outside, and it takes forever to find the damn thing, right? Like you're. Like, so I'm not going to bother, right? Right. There was well, a mechanic. Yeah, I I had an owner operator, sorry, that worked for me, um, which is why I prefer to hire. Like Henry was saying, I prefer to just hire owner operator and take a nine percent dispatch fee off, and then they own their own truck and trailers. And I had one guy that worked for me. He only made it two months. He didn't even have a crescent wrench in the truck. Oh. <laughs> and you're doing flat deck. Yeah, like, no way. Like, come on, man. Like, I can't. I got more tools in here almost exactly. than I have at home. And I, I didn't come from a trucking background. I mean, my dad worked for the phone company, and my mom sold real estate. So I'm about as far <laughs> away from trucking as you can almost get. And yeah. I just was shocked. And I'm like, you don't have a ratchet set? You don't have a – you don't – like, the stuff I fixed with, you know, 
vice grips and duct tape just to get to service so I can get help is yep. amazing over the last 18 years. So there's actually no, a device. <laughs> there's actually, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. There's actually a device no. that a mechanic had. He was right over on the Northern side of, of the line of uh, 65 right there where the Louisville bridge and all that is. Um, if you're familiar with that area, there's a railroad yard over there where they repair the, the big locomotive engines. They redo the whole thing. And he was, he's an old, uh, army guy taught, uh, taught ammunitions and firing and, and all kinds of things. Uh, so, so we hit it off pretty good, but he came out with this device and it looks like a little, a little box that you use to control like a radio control car. And then on the end of it, then it's got a device that plugs into it. And at the end of it, it's a long, like, like orange type of uh, wand. And he has headset that you plug into the device. Uh, yep. And it can, you know what that is, Kevin? It's like a stethoscope. It's like yeah. a doctor's stethoscope. It, it can pick up really, really faint sounds. So you're yeah. listening for the air lake. It is one of the best ways to do it. Do you know what that machine is actually called? Do you know where I, you can find one? Because I've I been don't. looking. I don't. I don't I, either. We've been talking about them for years, and I know they exist, and they work really well, but we never, I, I never went to try to find one. That, they're awesome. They, yeah. they can hear the, the slightest. Little, I mean, I've got great hearing. I can, I can usually pick out the air, the air leaks, but this thing is tremendous. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, hey, I, I'm going to do this. I, I'm going to give uh, anybody that hasn't spoken yet. We have a bunch of speakers that um, if you want to jump in and say something, we got a couple minutes. If not, I'm wrapping this up. It's Friday and time for the weekend. Anybody? All right. Looks like we're good. Oh, wait a minute. Reed, you still there? I know we had a couple. Oh, sheesh. We lost all kinds of people. No wonder why it was just three of us talking. Check. Kevin, look, been at paying the, attention. Look, at the, look at the requests, man. Been sitting in, I, been sitting I just in purgatory did. for uh, like 45 minutes here. So, so I finally got a headset that it works with this and actually has pretty decent sound. The problem is once I have a headset on, I start wandering around all the time. And I'm not looking at my phone because it's in my pocket. Uh, you guys working overtime, Kevin. I'm already back to work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> These spaces are killing me. I am not getting any work done anymore because I keep just hanging out in here. Uh, I just come in as you guys were talking about that. It's an ultrasonic uh, sensor. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's ultrasonic something. For That sounds about noises. right. Yeah. We should go look for that. Yeah. Nope. Anybody else have anything? Reed, what were I you? I'm going to say I'm going to say one thing that that uh kevin you need to just put your foot down and not let this continue because it, it, it might maybe we can talk about it another time but i've probably talked to 15 carriers today and none of them fucking believe me when i say that brokers tell me every single day that they'd rather pay the carrier they know you know sometimes hundreds of dollars more than the carrier they don't none of the carriers believe me but it's the freaking I truth it's the absolute <laughs> truth. It's, it's always been the it, truth. It's, 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 it, is so, it is so unbelievably true, and yet people use one example of some asshole they don't know who they call off a load board as, as proof that it's not true. Well, that's fucking stupid, and it's true, <laughs> so you should just fucking listen to me. And, we can, and, 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 and Kevin, you should just end it right there so nobody has the time to, to, to try to rebut what well, I'm saying. Okay, 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 okay. Kevin, I would agree with you on that, though, too. Yeah. 
Go ahead, now, Henry. You know, we were talking about gauges and all, and, you know, you were walking around, I was muted. But anyway, uh, the one gauge that I always wanted to have in a truck, and I never get around to doing it, and I think about it every time that I have a water leak problem, but I always thought that it would be good to have a, a pressure gauge on the water system, on the cooling system that you could see from in the cab, because if it's not building pressure, you know you have a leak before there's a problem. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. One of the most interesting gauges I ever drove with, I drove Bruce's high-performance Cummins, the mechanical. Um, he had a fuel-filled fuel pressure gauge in the dash. Like, you could watch the fuel flowing through the gauge in the dash, and you saw the pressure. Bro, I'm trying to drop bombs in here. You guys go back to talking about gauges. <laughs> <laughs> What? Well, yeah. Yeah. Hey, 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 Reed. Yeah. Hey, Reed. Let me yeah. tell you why. Most of the people in here that agree with you right now are saying, "Where's this guy been? We were talking about this 20 years ago. Nobody ever listens to us." Well, I was, I was, I was 10 years old 20 years ago. I know. So I that's, uh, that's right. Right. I'm, 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 yeah. I'm new. Sure. I'm fresh on the scene here, as far as all, all y'all are concerned. Yeah. So it's not that they don't believe you that they weren't. You know, they. They're in agreement, but they're saying, look, yep. we've been saying this for years. Nobody listens to us. Well, Peterbilt used to have that gauge, Kevin, as as like a uh, something that you didn't have to have as an extra. You know, you didn't have to pay extra. It was part of a gauge package. And then there were so many times that the gauge would just absolutely fail. So we went to um, Teltec, and that thing is awesome because it reads it on the filter. There's On the filter, right. uh yeah thing there where the wire is it doesn't actually go through the dash and, and to be honest with you um unfortunately one of the mechanics that peterbilt fired was installing the teltech gauge in my in the purple pete that's on my facebook page and um he left he left it open he went home one of the guys <laughs> who was the manager of him got in a fight so he he left the fuel lines open in my truck so johnny who's the guy at nighttime he goes in there and cranks it up well, little Mikey comes up running and screaming at Johnny to shut it off. And Johnny's sitting there and he's telling me the story the next day. He's like, you know, back I was looking at it and it's such a pretty gauge, you know, and it was going up and going up and everything looked great. And all of a sudden the fuel started dropping oh, and I no. kept mashing the pedal and I didn't realize what was going on. And here comes little Mikey and he goes, shut it off. And he's yelling and screaming on top of his lungs. And they finally shut it off, and by that time, the whole cab was flooded with diesel fuel. Well, so you bad. have to be careful. <laughs> You know, yeah, where you I take stuff. Those old mechanical gauges, I remember years ago when a mechanical oil pressure gauge, when the oil pressure went all the way to the back of the gauge, that wasn't good when one of them lines broke behind your dash. <laughs> right. And everything with oil. Yeah, that's a mess. Yeah, it was, I, I'm not recommending the gauge. I just that it was very unique to drive a truck with it. And that was a really high-performance mechanical engine. I have a fuel pressure gauge in mine. I always have for my last Peterbilt did and this Kenworth I put one in. But uh, I, I want to agree with Reed. Um, I might have to get it. I might have to just stop everything I'm doing and getting into the gauge business or something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh. hey, hey, Reed. Hey, right now, Reed, just as an example, I mean, I think our number is like $500, like four, yeah. $500 more because... First of all, the team, they're all busy. Like, everyone's busy in dispatch. Like, I've got a lot of time. So signing up a new carrier, 
is a lot of time. And then from the ownership point of view, the risk is it's it's triple. It's it's so much higher. There's like probably three times the oh, chance yeah. that a new carrier is not going to do as well of a job because they don't know, like they're not familiar with the business. Like I have a set lane. And if I'm if I'm on a set lane and I hire a brand new carrier, well, I don't. He's going to be. It's new to him, right? Well, all my other carriers are going to be way better. And so, what will I pay for that? And it's you know it's twenty percent, you know fifteen twenty percent, just to have that um, you know off my mind. Uh, so that I mean, it's not even disputable that that it, that if you're a carrier, you you should be using. You know, and these emails go both ways, right? The broker emails you the loads. Why in the hell aren't these carriers emailing the trucks? Like, it just makes it such an obvious thing. But if only, but if anyways, only that, there were a solution if, for that. You know, if there was something, you know, and a, a good name for this would be like lost freight. Right. <laughs> right? But hey, but, make hey, sure but you that's spell not, freight wrong. Make sure you spell Oh, that's freight right. Wrong. That's yeah. right. F R A. That's not what I want to talk F-R-8. about, though, Kevin. <laughs> I, Kevin, I got something. Let's go something back to even gauges. Let's go back to more. gauges. Well, here it is. Hey, Reed, here it is. It's very important, Kevin. I really need to know if uh, Fleet Air Filter, do they make a. Uh, a filter for your coach do you have a fleet air filter in your coach they do not make one i talked to david one time he he offered to make me a custom filter and i'm sure he wouldn't have even charged me for it and here's where i am on my coach i'm not gonna spend a penny to increase my fuel economy because it's not gonna matter i don't put enough miles on it 10 or fifteen thousand on a good year uh, i don't have an ops on it it's just not worth all the hassle to put it on you well, know me. Every truck I ever owned had all of that stuff. My coach right. has none of it. Well, here's the thing. Um, my coach intake, uh, if I do a gravel road in South Dakota or Wyoming, then I'm, it's going to plug the air filter instantly. I can't go two miles down a gravel road. Really? Without, yeah, because it's, um, I mean, I noticed some coaches, they're putting them on top way up high. Well, mine's about six foot, seven foot up the side. But the problem is mine has a fan. And the fan never stops turning. It's a hydraulic fan that doesn't turn Same off. Same as mine, right? Okay, so that kicks up a hell of amount of dust, and it and it and as that dust hits the ground, right, it, it blows it, and it basically just but, clouds up and goes right inside the air cleaner. I plug it every time on my mom's driveway. But didn't you, didn't somebody tell you you're not supposed to use your coach for Baja racing? That's what I'm ah, saying. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's funny. But I don't know. So if, if there's a fleet air filter that's re- washable, I guess that's what I'm in the market for. <laughs> yeah. But, so you, you just just grab the filter off your coach, get the model number, and call them. They may have just one that, you know, the coach manufacturer may have used an off-the-shelf filter, and he may have one for it. I've checked right. with mine. He doesn't. But I've never really had a problem with mine. Right on. And then my other question on fleet air filter is it seems like that would be a good uh, something, something for my, a fleet to do because, you know, my no. mechanics can handle no, that. No, no, or... no, no, no. Bad, bad idea. Here's what okay. happens. We, we've seen this. If your truck ever pulls into someplace else to get a service, they'll they throw the filter it. away or steal it. One of the two. I'm not sure which. But we oh. had to we had to tell people, if you do put, put a fleet air filter in with a driver, you better trust your driver to make sure that thing does not disappear. Oh, okay, so I'll put it on my local trucks because they come back to the terminal every night. But so, but the the guy, uh, the gentleman up in British Columbia, said half a mile per gallon. That's what I heard him say. Uh, we've, That's a yeah. lot. We've, 
We have I, seen I that. Yeah. I did, but I'm pulling heavy, like right. heavy. Oh, uh, right. right. Like so. I mean, it, and, it's, but, and it's a Cascadia with like with that stock filter that they put in there, which. Of all the things I've done to this the, engine, including the OPS and doing extended drains, I'm able to do, with the amount of winter driving, I have to do oil change once a year. I can't seem but, to make it longer than that. But my Detroit shop absolutely hates that fleet air filter. They try and sell okay, me so, a stock OEM well, filter every <laughs> single goddamn time in there at Let's think about this a, a second. Let's think about this a second. He's. We know what his fuel mileage is because of the heavy haul and the extreme. A half mile per gallon, that filter cost 400 bucks, saves you about $5,000 a year. Yeah, by the time in Canadian, yeah. by the time I exchange rate, and I, I broker my own stuff in because of doing the Pittsburgh Power or the Catalyst as well, I'm set up to import. Um, it cost me, I think, just under $700. Okay. For the filter. Well, that's and, to get, I had another to question get on that. With the, with the Cascadia, because I remember when I was looking into fleet air filter for Cascadia, I don't think they had one. And so my question is, so Cascadia, Cascadia and Volvo, are they have fleet air filters for both now? They David yes. at, at Fleet Air Filter really works hard to stay up with new models. So a new model will come out, and it might take him a year to work out all the flow, the design, but he is constantly working on new filters. That never stops. And there's two for there's two different styles for the Cascadia. I just ordered one in for a customer. I'm going to pick it up here today. I'm, on, I'm the 6102 on mine, and his happens to be the same. And, yeah, it's great. I was on the waiting list when they were going to release it. And I can't right. really mention that. Kevin on Sirius, and I signed up for that. So I got one almost as soon as they were. So it's been in here, I think, since yeah. 2016, uh, 17. Does that sound right when they released it? Back sounds so about right. Yep, it does. Yeah, and that, and it, virtually every, every time I have David on the show, one of the things we talk about is all the new filters that are, that are in the works. That's, that shows you how out of touch I am. I mean, if it came out in 17 or 18 and I'm asking these questions now. <laughs> I think it was, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was, it, I was I, done I, before I came to the last CMC. When was that, 2018? I think it was the 18 last was our last CMC, yeah. yeah. And, and that's the one that I went to. Um, yeah, see, TJ, if, if, if you would have been at that CMC with us, you would have been better informed. Yeah, that's for sure. I, as a matter of fact, I think you need to bring that back. We, I got, we could have one in uh, California. We're we're working on it. I think they're outlawed in California. I think it, I think <laughs> right. I think California determined that the CMC causes cancer. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you just have they to put a little note down below. Educate anybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely don't want that. No. All right. Good stuff. I am wrapping this up. It's time to go enjoy the weekend. We'll do it again next week. For anybody new listening, we do this uh, Wednesday, Thursdays, and Fridays. Wednesday's a health space. Thursday is a trucking free-for-all. And Friday is trucking efficiency. I also do a live radio show slash podcast every day of the week, Monday through Friday. Uh, just get our app. Uh, hey, go Kevin. to your yeah. One more thing. Hey, uh, Reed, you should open up another space like right after Kevin's because I keep missing yours. For some reason, I, I'm, I'm always missing yours. So, Reed, you should do yours right after Kevin and take all these listeners over there. What say you? Please advise. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me, Reed's still there. He's there. He's, he's not muted. responding. I see him, but he's muted. Yeah. yeah, he's not listening I got anymore. Three more hour, I got four more hours of driving today. I could easily jump over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I did 
in the comments, I did post a link to an ultrasonic leak detection device on Amazon. Oh, cool. So Thank you. That was easy. Oh, cool. Yep. Yeah, good. Yeah. All right. We're going to wrap this up. Thanks, everybody. We'll do it again next week. Have a great weekend. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.